Welcome to Dad Factors, and today on the show we have Jacob Heller. Yeah, Jake Heller. Jake Heller. Yeah. Um, very interesting guy. He uh, joined the military as a mechanic for airplanes, and then um, active duty, and then uh, got out and became a air traffic controller. So, yeah, no, super cool stuff. I. Uh, I've always wondered about air traffic control. I've heard it's like a very stressful job, <clears throat> which I, after talking to him, I really think it is. <laughs> I, he kind of downplayed it, but I can only imagine having so many. I've I played airplane before, you know, like I, I, right. <laughs> it, and this 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 big three D. I mean, okay, I, pl- I have an Oculus Quest too, right? Mm-hmm. I know I know what a three D world looks like, mm-hmm. but if if you can imagine, you're sitting in this tower, and you got this big three D world that goes mm-hmm. out thirty miles or whatever, and you've got to control all the air traffic coming into that space. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy, super cool. Um, I was really happy to hear. Uh, it's always fascinating to hear about a, a career that you have no idea um, what it entails. But yes, uh, cool dude, um, likes motorcycles, outdoor stuff, uh, woodworking, has two kids, a wife. Um, Does great woodwork too, those flags. Yeah. Those are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, but before we get to him, we'll do the quote of the week. Quote of the week, not the day, like I said last time. Yeah. <laughs> so this was sent to us by Etzel. 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 Um, and the quote is by Frederick Douglass, um, and it says... When a slave becomes a happy slave, he has effectively relinquished all that makes him human. (laughs) Okay, so... So to break that down, to me, uh, what that's saying is, I mean, yeah, of course, there's, you know, slavery and stuff like that, but uh, in modern times, to me, that it uh, echoes to, like, um, freedom. Um and that can be related to just about anything uh, from the, you know, freedom, like the government, you look at where we're at right now, um, your employer. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, to me, that means when you uh, stop having like a dream of being free. Right. Then you you're. Know. Yeah. You've relinquished all that makes you human. And, but you're happy, though, typically. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like you're, you know, could be a mindless bot. But yeah, absolutely. Or you're at least good where you're at. <clears throat> yeah. If you're not happy yeah. per se, yeah, interesting. Robot. Yeah. Well, he didn't. He didn't pre-tell me the quote. No, no. Just that real raw reaction. reaction. Yeah. Yeah. That dead silence <laughs> on the mic where my mouth was open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start the show. If you live in the Coeur d'Alene slash Spokane area and you need your windows cleaned, give Brandon's Window Cleaning a call. They offer window cleaning service, pressure washing, rain gutter cleaning, and roof moss removal. Brandon's Window Cleaning does a great job, and they can be found at brandonswindows.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-W-I-N-D-O-W-S dot com. And while you're getting your windows cleaned, you, you have yourself a beer. Yeah, relax with a nice cold one from Wallace Brewing Company. Wallace Brewing Company has the finest craft beers that I've ever tasted. I drink it, I give it to my guests on the show, and they love it. They have the Vindicator IPA, the 660 India-style pale lager, 
the Select Lager, the 1910 Black Lager, and my personal favorite, the Red Light. They got this Brewmaster Jack up there. Dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, puts his stuff together, and it tastes fantastic. Next time you're at the grocery store, pick yourself up a six-pack. You will not be disappointed. And as always, Wallace Brewing Company reminds you to drink responsibly. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, there are a number of ways you can help us out. First, you can give us a five-star rating. Next, you can give us a comment, which is the main way the ranking algorithm works in podcasts. So is that like the rating and the comment? Yeah, yeah that would be the way it works both, out. Like Absolutely. both of them together? Yeah, the main way. combo okay. package if checking, you could. If know. you could, yeah. Um, and both of those, both of those help us reach more people. Lastly, if you'd like to buy us a beer, there's a way for you to do that as well. You can go to anchor.com slash dad factors and click the support link. Now there you can buy us, uh, some cheap beer or you can buy us some restaurant level beer, but either way, we appreciate you listening to the show. Huh? So, um, I guess we can go all the way back. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and okay. how you came to live in Spokane and being air, tra- air traffic controller. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, start when I was, my parents divorced when I was pretty young. I lived on the west side of Washington in a suburb of Seattle called Kent. Um, oh, I know Kent. Yeah. I know, I know people from there. Do? Yeah. Um, Lake Meridian area, parents divorced. Uh, it went to Kent Meridian High School. Yeah, man, that's yeah. where I was supposed to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, uh, whatever, they, they split and that was life because I was young enough, didn't really know any better other than like things were a little bit different. Um, still had two loving parents and an older sister, uh, she's two years older than me. And then uh, leaving sixth grade, we were told that we're moving to OMAC. My mom had remarried and uh, the gentleman that she remarried uh, had this log cabin on a couple hundred acres, 30 miles outside of OMAC. And mm. he had gotten his real estate license and he wanted to be a realtor out of OMAC. So... Um, Going into seventh grade, I was a new kid again at a school I'd never been to and an area I wasn't familiar with and came from the big city of Kent to the <laughs> little town of Omak. Wow. Um, you know, the good and the bad of a big city versus a small town, I, I guess I I imagine where would I be today if I had stayed in mm. Kent, but uh, Omak was fun other than my commute to school was about an hour and a half on the bus. Um, we had Ugh. a three mile dirt driveway. I mean, that's like 13 years old. I was driving myself to and from the bus stop, which was kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, like as a kid, you're like learning the five speed and you're doing burnouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that created a different element, not always good, not always bad, but just a little bit different. Uh, I did meet my wife in Omac. I did not marry her while I was there cause I was in high school and that'd be weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke yeah. for the record. But for those of you and your listeners who uh, do not know where OMAC is, we are famous for pretty much one thing, and that is... Uh, the stampede. No, oh, even better. <laughs> even better. There's a stampede where they run horses down a hill and yeah. across a river, and it's a thing people get crazy about. Um, in like 2016, the Navy flew over OMAC and drew a penis in the sky. Oh! Uh- Oh, that's my hometown. Spot. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's my I'm hometown. surprised. Home of the Wang. I'm not <laughs> yeah. surprised. That I kind of thought it that. was a sign that they wanted an Arby's there, but I don't really. Know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? You don't remember that? I don't. I have. I have. Oh, never that was heard viral. I got that was Google viral. It. Yeah, wow. and then they. Uh, that was on like the day it happened. And stuff. The night that it happened, like it was on like the Colbert Show or something. Yeah. You know, like it was on late night. It's yeah. like that didn't take long. Yeah, that um, day, huh? I or, it, it or felt like I yeah. got a call from uh, from the one of the neighbors back home, and he's like Jake because he knows I'm in aviation. He's like, "What is going <laughs> on out here?" There, so uh, above OMAC, there is a military operating area where military can go and uh, 
air traffic will block out the altitude. So basically the fighters oh. can dogfight, mm-hmm. right? Well, some fighter that uh, may or may not be from OMAC decided to kick the smoke on and draw an Arby symbol. Whidbey <laughs> Navy admits aircraft drew penis in sky over Washington. It yeah. was a training maneuver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. May 14th. I oh, thought he was flying away from a missile or something. Yeah. I didn't know. I'm not yeah. to judge. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's, uh, that's hometown. It was fun, though. I mean, like, uh, growing up in a small town, now they live in Spokane, which is a small city. Uh, not, not by any means a town, but uh, not a big city. But uh, getting to see kind of the stuff that you got away with. I mean, everybody was a truck kid, or at least all, me and my friends were truck kids and mm-hmm. out mudding and skipping school and, I mean, hunting after school. I was a... Uh, I was on the trap shooting team, which just kind of boggles my mind if they would even have those anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I lived again thirty miles out of school, so in the in the toolbox in my pickup there was a shotgun. Yeah, um, yeah. I was well aware that like this was a time not to brag, mm-hmm. but uh, it was always kind of there. So we'll see. Yeah, we used to go hunting and stuff after uh, after school, and my buddy actually got expelled from high school our senior year because he had two shotguns for hunting after school that we were going to go use Interesting. in his truck box locked, but it was on school. Somebody premises. snitched. Yeah. And it was, it was right around yeah. that time, you know, Moses Lake yeah. had that, um, a few yes. years prior to that, that Barry Lukaitis incident yeah. and stuff. So, you know, I mean, they were really starting to crack yeah. down on yeah. that stuff. Um, and that, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, just, uh, there's awareness of it and mm-hmm. maybe like, you know, we don't hang them in our back window. Instead yeah. you keep them locked up, whether it's in the tailgate of your pickup or hopefully at home. But, uh, just be smarter about it, and then mm-hmm. then you can get away with that stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, t- uh, class of two thousand one, uh, there was like eighty eight in my class. Uh, I had a lot of fun thinking about it. Like I was ready to leave town, though. I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a whole lot for me living thirty miles out of town. Again, it was mm-hmm. uh, about a half tank of gas um, every other day because <laughs> uh, it wasn't highway. It was like country roads, and the last three miles was four wheel drive. So, um, looking for what to do, and uh, my parents were kind of. Not necessarily against college, but, uh, I mean, we weren't the wealthiest of families mm-hmm. and it was like, what are you going to do? And a buddy of mine joined the Navy and that did not sound like something I wanted to do. And so I met the Air Force recruiter and, uh, <laughs> signed up. I decided I wanted a summer. So I graduated high school in 2001 and September 4th, 2001, went off to basic training. Um, I thought September 11th was a, like Ooh, America's under attack. Mm-hmm. But, uh, apparently, we were. Uh, <laughs> so that that started my tenure in the military. Was uh, interesting. Yeah, the, the September 11th attacks. So that happened while you were in basic. Yeah, uh, everybody got like shoved into one room, and they finally turned the TVs on. And mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't look fake. I yeah, mean, like coming from OMAX, flying on over San Antonio, going to basic training. I was like, oh my goodness, there's like lights is for the rest of the world. I didn't, <laughs> didn't even know. But, uh, so I, I figured that they had like some production quality stuff that they could mm-hmm. throw at us. But, uh, I mean, it, 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 watching the towers fall was, uh, a little eye opening, I guess, for the naive yeah. kid from OMAC. But how did basic training handle that? Um, did you guys get like expressed through or no, not really. I mean, we still had our, they, they went into Delta, I think for a couple yeah. days and they backed it out to FP con Charlie. So, um, for the most part, they just stayed away from the perimeter fence. So all the TIs had to park their cars like on the workout pads. Mm. Uh, and I, my dorm was closest to the fence. And I remember for a couple of days, they would like push us into some other dorm in case somebody wanted to attack basic training dormitories. But uh, um, outside of that, it wasn't, 
I would say it was a normal process the yeah. best they could. And of course the, the, the air was quiet, uh, the, the following days, right? There was just silence. Um, and then I remember seeing a C5, not that I knew what it was back then, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's just this behemoth of an airplane flying over us and of it, it, everybody's looking up at it. Like, Oh my goodness, we're in the air force. They're going to war. <laughs> right? And the TI just stops and stops us and starts yelling at us. And of course it makes us do push ups mm-hmm. and, um, and then you, you, you kind of snap back to it. Like I joined the military and this is what I'm going to go do. They're going to train me and I'm going to go be a war fighter. So, um, I, I, whatever that was, everybody's basic training experience would be different. I'm yeah. the, the kids at COVID basic training right now are all virtual yeah, or something. <laughs> virtual basic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, cause I was in the, I was in the army, but, uh, I, I couldn't imagine trying to do. 15 mile road march with a mask on i was oh, you know full yeah. gear that's crazy i'm in the air force i could imagine doing a 15 mile road march <laughs> are you kidding me you call and an uber dude and then i was assigned a light infantry that's unit crazy. so so you know 10 miles was that was a walk in the park i think we had like a two did. i think in a warrior week we had like a two mile road march or something that was supposed to be our yeah. simulation uh which i, I mean Okay. Well, all right. Mm-hmm. This is this isn't the worst thing. You mm-hmm. keep pretending like it's the worst thing, but it's at two the miles. end of my basic training, it was twenty. Oh, yeah. was was the road paved? Um, some of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was in Georgia too. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, left uh, left basic, went to tech school in uh, Texas. Had a good time. Was uh, working on airplanes. Um, you know, started making friends. Um, a little bit socially awkward kid. Didn't always. I, I don't know, just growing up so far out of town, didn't have time just to like talk to guys about growing up. Mm. But, uh, you know, you kind of find your click and you start getting along with people. And uh, I was originally assigned the E3 AWACS because you, as you progress through training, they like focus on what airplane you're going to go to. And uh, eventually they asked for uh, volunteers. And so I was, I was into volunteering at the time. And they said, you're going to go work on the KC-135. And I had no idea what that was. Mm. But it was a big gray one outside and that seemed simple enough to me um it didn't have a dish on top i guess i don't know what what does the plane do again Mm -hmm. uh for for the listeners again it refuels other airplanes Mm -hmm. and doesn't get shot at so that's a good airplane yeah they do their best not to get shot yeah we don't even like park at bases they get shot at (laughs) we're just gonna fly high above and like go far away because they got big gas tanks Mm -hmm. so they can do that that's essentially what the aircraft is right yeah 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 Yeah. i mean i've never been in one but i've seen them flying yeah it's, uh, it's you you can't stick. miss the stinger sticking out yeah. the back. Um, got out of uh, tech school in early 2002 and uh, or was finding out where I was going to go because they kind of, as you progress through training, hey, you got orders. So you go see the tech sergeant with orders and he says, guess where you're going? And I said, I don't know, Fairchild? Because that was about the only base I knew. And uh, he said, no, that's your, you're right. You're going to Fairchild. <laughs> so uh, I originally joined the Air Force to see the world. And I uh, didn't really care where I ended up, but I got closer to home than when I left. Because when I left, I left out of Spokane International, which is about four miles east of Fairchild. <laughs> so I uh, landed at Fairchild in uh, early 2002 and started training. And so Spokane was home. Um, never really been to Spokane before and kind of, I don't know, just trucking through it. And like, this ain't so, I mean, again, from OMAC, a uh, little <laughs> dusty town to the big city. I guess it was something special. I know there are better towns out there, but that's all perspective. And, 
Uh, I like our town. I like Coeur d'Alene. It's like uh, Spokane's pretty little sister. Right? Yeah. I mean, just go over there and say hello. Uh, <laughs> was it episode six, I think, with Ron Heath? Ron Ron's from Omac. What? Well, he's not from there, but he he's lives there. Oh, apparently. okay. I was going to yeah. say, I don't know that name. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. from Omac. Yeah. <laughs> so no, he's not from there. Uh, most people don't know me either, so that's all right. Uh, that's cool. So, um, 2002 landed at Fairchild. Was that your uh, like only base? Yeah, uh, didn't really know it at the time, but uh, y- you know, you kind of joined the military to to just take it for a ride, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, usually it's it's the less privileged in society, the kids are the less privileged, but it's. Um, got to be the greatest opportunity for anybody. Mm. And so uh, I did not know that at the time. I was just a dumb kid who made decent decisions. Um, but I was happy to be close enough to home that on the weekends I could run home and see mom. Uh, or my dad was on the west side of the state, could run over there and say hi. At uh, late 2002, uh, I had my first trip. Uh, being a crew chief, you get to fly on the airplane once you know how to work on it. Um, and they sent me to Iceland for one day and it was just a, an out and back. So they, we took a good airplane up there and we brought an airplane that was timing out on maintenance issues home, but you don't just land and the plane's ready to go. The air crew kind of needs a little bit of rest or something or we're swapping out. So, uh, I got to walk around the base in Iceland for a couple hours, about a t-shirt and we went to Wendy's. Uh, I think I sent my mom a postcard. Pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. You know, for, uh, again, for a 19 year old, right. <laughs> From OMAC, there's yeah. uh, you can't get much further from home. But uh, about a month after I got back, um, I got my first deployment, which was uh, Diego Garcia, mm-hmm. which is uh, middle of the Indian Ocean. It's a tropical paradise. Um, and yeah, you can't get further from home from Iceland. <laughs> it is Diego Garcia. Uh, and like It's almost like the opposite side of the world. Um, but it was awesome. That was, uh, I mean, we had to stop in Japan overnight. Mm-hmm which shenanigans are ensuing like because because we're not flying the airplane <laughs> except yep. like show up um and i spent four months in uh, diego garcia uh i was 19 years old could buy a beer and didn't make hardly any money but didn't matter i mean like <laughs> life was so simple two days on one day off your second day at work you were cut back um man it was it was uh I, i've been on i don't know 12 deployments mm-hmm. The best one was first, which is too bad because it was so great that yeah. I didn't know what I had. But uh, uh, yeah, did you uh, stay in dorms or did you stay in the we, villa? We had a we had a tent. A tent? Yeah, a tent. Oh, yeah. It was air conditioned well, except for a couple good. mornings, which would wake you up pretty yeah. quick. But it was very humid there. You're uh, you're about three feet sea elevation, um, so <laughs> there's not much really between <laughs> you and the lagoon. But uh, yeah, we had a we had tents. That I, I think they had plans for dorms. The air crew stayed downtown in the hotel. We'll call it dorms, I mm-hmm. guess. But uh, we had we had the tents, and everybody built a deck on front of their tent, and everybody had, of course, like um, a theme for their tent. Oh, nice. Um, I can't. Ours was like the black sheep or something. I moved into it. It was already named that. But there was another one called the Rudder Vader. And that was the party tent. You know, there was a bar <laughs> set up and everybody, somebody would be playing music, cracking beers for everybody as they came and showed up. And it was also just like the centrally located one. Mm-hmm. That's just where the party always was. Um, and at the at the end of that four months, there was uh, John Travolta. He's got a 707, which is uh, basically a KC-135 for the argument's sake. Him and Drew Carey flew to Diego Garcia uh, to do a USO tour, right? So when I'm doing that, awesome. the, the government's paying for his gas. Like, just go see the troops, right? And, and so 
of course, all the big wigs are with them because they're celebrities. And then you've just got these mechanics who are probably drunk because <laughs> it's noon. Yeah. And they're walking around tent city. Oh, look at the troops. Here they are. Here are the troops. Do you want to say anything type stuff? And they're like, what are those guys doing? And they're like, oh, we don't know. And they're like, hey, John Travolta, come sit down. And so they like, they just went and sat and stayed. I don't know how long I wasn't there, but it was just like, are you kidding me? Like I've never, a kid, kid from Omac, never seen a celebrity before. But I missed out on the you know, the biggest thing to happen. Mm. But uh, anyway, so that was kind of cool. Uh, oh, or at least the story's kind of cool. If I was there, I would have been like, can you please do the grease dance? Yeah, seriously. Do, do <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Come on, dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just dance. dance. Uh, everybody starts chanting, dance, right? dance, dance. Yeah. But uh, that was, that was a, a wonderful deployment. You know, the next one, let's see, about uh, two months later, I came back from that deployment, bought a dirt bike. Because I had deployment money and mm-hmm. I broke my arm about a week later, so that was cool. Mm. So that was the lead up to the uh, the Iraq War. So I watched the Iraq War from the couch, mm. which is uh, just as a again like nineteen year old, twenty year old kid, it's really depressing. Everything you know how to do in life, everything that, you know, you just want to go to war, which doesn't make any sense now, but you just want to help. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was out of commission, but. I uh, got my chance in 2004, went to Qatar, where we have a big base for tankers over there. Um, huge opt, ops tempo, a lot of like planes are just constantly moving. Uh, I mean, we're not patrolling anything. We're just putting gas on and uh, the, the workload is heavy. I've been there four times, uh, almost a year of my life in that country. Every time the base is just multiplied in size mm-hmm. and operations, which is which is kind of cool to see. It's also just like, ugh, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. But uh, whatever i guess <laughs> i don't make these decisions um anyway so uh qatar uh for the next i'll, I'll just sum up my six years active duty was uh qatar <laughs> yeah uh kyrgyzstan uh, and then a handful of great tdy's um i think altogether i had a little under 400 days out of the country uh um on my mpf rip uh which, which was good. It's mm-hmm. a single man's job. It's not something that I think uh, a married man, as I am now, needs to be doing because yeah. it's it's a high demand, you need to go now type situation. And I just, uh, I, I don't I don't even know how me at 18 was willing to do it other yeah. than I didn't have kids or a wife. But um, <laughs> huh. it, was a good, it was a good time. Yeah. It was a good time. Went to Russia, went to Africa. Really? You know the went capital? To Russia. Yeah. You know what the capital of Djibouti is? Uh, no, but I've heard of Djibouti. Yeah. Capital Djibouti is Djibouti. Djibouti, Djibouti? No, yeah, no joke. <laughs> I went there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah I heard that's like the, I heard Djibouti is one of the most humid places on earth. Yeah, we took a bunch of Marines there and then yeah. left. Like, yeah. See you later. <laughs> Drop <laughs> them off. This sucks. Yeah. Later. Uh, went to, uh, yeah, Russia was cool. Uh, fun little story. Um, 2005-ish. Part of the START Treaty is we, uh, you know, do you guys know what the START Treaty is? Mm-mm. It's a, no. like surprise nuclear inspection on Russia. We agreed to do this oh. with them. They did this to us, but we give them like 14 hours heads up. <clears throat> We're going to land at such and such base. We want to go inspect such and such facilities. Um, so we stage out of Japan and we fly into Russia. Uh, <clears throat> I, again, I'm just a mechanic. I'm there for the airplane. This Russian nuclear stuff is none of my business other than like just just take care of the airplane. So we're waiting for the pilots to come back with all our vodka that we gave them money for. <laughs> that you're buying from the mafia. Because yeah, uh, why not? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the security guards walks up to myself and the, the boom operator. And he, he's like, hey, cigarette, cigarette. And he's a younger kid. And we're like, ah, sure, man. So the boom operator gives him a cigarette. And he's like, get out of here. 
Um, so he comes back and he's like, hey, uh, coffee, coffee, do you have coffee? And, and uh, the boom's like, sure. So he climbs up on, on the jet and gets coffee out of the coffee pot. And here you go, get out of here. And the guy comes back and he's like, he's got the cup in his hand that we gave him, like styrofoam cup. And he's like, vodka, vodka. And we're like, dude, like, <laughs> we ain't got no vodka. And he's like, no, 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 vodka. And he's pointing to the cup. And he's like, like he brought some back for us. He wanted to share. And it's, you know, why not? <laughs> Was it like homebrew? <laughs> no, I mean, like it's, it's Russia, man. Yeah. <laughs> They, wow. They, they, anyway, so we had uh, we actually took a shot of vodka, and uh, his superior came over. Um, I had a Velcro patch on my flight suit, and I pulled it off and gave it to them. And uh, the superior gave me his. He had to like rip off the patch, right? It was like old field jacket style that was like sewn in. So he like he had to cut the patch off. And at, I think at this point in my life, I realized like I've been through intel briefs. I I mean like going here, like I I know the layout of the airfield. I know the tactics that they're going to use to try to entice me for information, which would be funny. I just tell mm-hmm. them like the RPM of the engines, which <laughs> nobody cares about. But uh, what, what is he getting at, right? And it's like people are people, right? I mean, he's he's just your lowest level ranking person who is told to just go watch the mechanics mm-hmm. stand next to the airplane, and we are just mechanics who are just to fix the airplane, right? And and, uh, and as he I wants st- to have a good time too. Yeah, I mean, he's like these are Americans, man. Mm-hmm. I want to go talk to him. So he came. We started talking about snowboarding and like. I gave him my email address and I say that with quotes because it wasn't really my email address. Like yeah. that's where we were told, like, don't just don't even and I'm like, you know what? I don't even like email. So yeah. I'm just not gonna, but, uh, I mean, he was just trying to be a person. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else behind it, but, uh, the way I see it is, uh, what'd you give him? Djibouti69 at yeah. hotmail.com. Djibouti, Djibouti. <laughs> don't turn around. It's a Djibouti. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, that was a, that was a good trip. That was kind of an eye opener. Uh, and the bigger scale of things is the, what I was playing a part in is this, uh, treaty from the Reagan era that, uh, I mean, kept Russia in check and we, you know, kind of, it's that trust, but verify attitude. And I was like, wow, that's not bad for a kid from OMAC. That's awesome. Uh, where in Russia did you go? Uh, the, the airfield was called Ulan Uday. It's on the Southeast corner and, uh, there's a, there's a big lake on the, like the North side of it. Okay. Um, in the Intel brief, they warned us like the airfield is garbage. Like it's just not maintained very well. So because the 135 is a, uh, it sits so low or right? it's got four engines. So the inboards, if you're just standing next to the airplane, you can just walk over and like sit in the engine inlet, right? Like it's just not wow, that, it's that low. Yeah. But the outboards sit a little bit higher. I mean, they'd be like, well, I don't know, maybe head height for most people. Um, but the outboards would be over the dirt. And the problem with jet engines is they suck things mm-hmm. in, including dirt and gravel, which would be really bad on a jet engine, especially in a foreign country. So they shut down the outboards and they taxied with the inboards, even though the airfield is just like tore. I mean, just think about your worst road from Spokane. You guys have better roads over here in Idaho, but like just really bad roads in Spokane, like gravel kind of cracking and they're like, so I, they, uh, they landed, they exited the taxiway, they opened up the, the crew entry chute, they dropped the ladder, I got out, they pulled the ladder back up, closed the door, and I, I did a FOD walk in front of the aircraft. So I was just looking for rocks that would, that would do damage. Obviously, I'm not out there with a street sweeper making sure it's good for the aircraft, but like it was just kind of fun because there's a uh, receptionist crowd of people who are, exp- I mean, this is, again, this is high level, um, this is high level stuff and they have to comply and we have to comply. And so there's a lot of people there and there's Jake from OMAC walking <laughs> the, the, almost like a jet with a leash on it. Like, Hey, how's it going guys? Right. Um, anyway, and just, there's a counterintelligence aspect to all of this, right? There, everybody's playing a game 
just what can we learn mm-hmm. and how do we have to disguise ourselves to what we learn? And there were women there and we were warned that look like they have their pants painted on and there was. And I get it. (laughs) Thank you for the warning, (laughs) she devils. Man. Uh, Yeah. So that was a cool trip. I think that's part of any military briefing if you're going somewhere. Yeah, it should be. But I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, it it was part of a couple of mine. Yeah. I'm sure it was a part of a couple of Jason's. (laughs) Huh. Well, that's that's really cool. I mean, so um, on your flight over to Russia... Uh, you were in a refueler? Yeah, so uh, the, the KC-135. Yeah. Uh, K is the designator for its uh, secondary mission, primary mission, the first letter of the... Anyway, I'm forgetting now because I'm retired. Uh, the K, it, every time, like a KC-10, a KC-135, they have KC-130s. Um, that is a designator that means it can refuel. Uh, the C would be cargo, so C-17, C-130, C-5. I know um, what a C-130 looks like. Yeah, four-fan trash can, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, get me out of here. And I know when they, <laughs> right slow. before they take off, if they say, hang on over the all, <laughs> over the intercom, you, you better hang on. <laughs> that is a cool airplane. I started taking off. I didn't like it while I was uh, while I was active, but I uh, kind of learned some of the the performance characteristics and what they do with that airplane. It's, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, ours is pretty boring. Climb up the altitude fly from A to B, whereas they sometimes have to dodge missiles, so they stay low-level and follow the terrain, which is... Well, what what they did to us is they they said, well, we got to get to altitude as fast as possible. So they basically took off... I mean, it felt vertical to me. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt like it. Get airborne, pull the gear up, pull the flaps up, gain all the speed you can by the end of the runway. Yeah, and just almost straight up. That was combat takeoff and landing. Yeah. 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 And then we landed that way too. And then we bounced off the runway about Ooh. four times. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, uh, did everybody fly on the 135 or were you escorting? Uh, yeah. So we picked up uh, the inspectors in Japan. So we left Spokane. Um, I want to say we flew direct to Japan. Sometimes we stop in Hawaii, depending on, I'm, I'm guessing there's a counterintelligence part of it because they're watching, right? I mean, all this is watching is trying to just game this. If they're trying to hide something, we want to, we want to discourage that as much as possible. Um, so uh, yeah, I, usually we fly over there uh, for this mission for the for the Russian mission. It was um, fly over. We pick them up, and they've staged all the inspectors at this base, and we go out. Right? They've 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 gone in at a different time. We've gone in at a different time, and then we meet. They give them the heads up. Here we come. Get on the airplane and go. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as much as it's a it's a refueler, I think mo- the most missions I've been on have been usually some sort of troop transport. Or cargo capacity more so than than refueling. Although uh, the refueling aspect of it is something that hardly anybody gets to see. Um, th- we have a back window in an airplane, right? It's kind of crazy, and you sit maybe a hundred feet away from another airplane, and it's a big airplane. Like I've I don't know how many C-17s I've seen over the Pacific Ocean in route to Hawaii, but that's a big airplane, and it's right there. I mean, you're looking at the pupils of the pilot. And you're like, <laughs> oh my goodness. That's crazy. Hi. Yeah. Back in 2003, I went down to California and we refueled F-22s when they are still in the <laughs> testing phase. I had never seen an F-22. I mean, yeah. like I knew that they were out there, but like now I've got one 100 feet away and the pilot's just trying to get gas because they're going to go do their like tricks or whatever, whatever they're doing, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, that's cool. I'm going to go get my yeah. burrito out of the oven though. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
the boom the, operator job is that's a cool job. Yeah, that's it's and it's such a unique job. Uh, they, they get to they they have to get certified on all the aircraft. So anytime there's a new airplane coming online, like before anybody really knows about it, the booms are out there refueling it, and they're not uh, told about it. But like, so there's like a secret element. I, I think I should say I'm not a boom operator, but I yeah. think that there's a secret element about it. But once they see it, because there's a big light on the tail of the airplane that illuminates any airplane <laughs> behind us, they're like, oh. Okay. It's, another, it's, like one of, <laughs> okay. it's not a UFO. Right? Yeah. So is there like, like a certain altitude that you have to do that at to safely do it? Not really. Away from I, any I, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not operations. I'm just a ground mechanic. Mm. Um, but I know just from my experience that um, over the country, over the United States, the, the safest altitudes are between uh, like 250 and 300, uh, 25,000, 30,000, somewhere in there. Like but in the 20,000 range, we'll say. Because most airlines are flying up at like thirty six thousand feet, right? Because mm-hmm. they're they're faster up there, and uh, most smaller planes can't climb that high. There's other airplanes that will want to fly right there, like the Dash eights for Horizon, the prop airplanes. Um, but for the most part, they can block out these altitudes and just practice. Now, I don't know what altitudes that they're required to to refuel at. I'm sure it could be different altitudes, but mm-hmm. um, up higher, at least when you're over a war zone, is safer. Um, we refueled, we left Qatar, we were en route to Kyrgyzstan, and we refueled a B-1 bomber. <laughs> this is one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just like three of us, three or four of us crew chiefs. There was like three air crew. We were just trying to get to Kyrgyzstan, but we had to refuel. We had a mission en route. And so we're somewhere, again, over Afghanistan. Don't know anywhere, don't know anything about this. And uh, there's a thunderstorm off in the distance. So you kind of see the cloud glowing or something like that. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. Right. But uh, so when you're looking out of our airplane, you have to like it. Mind you, it was built in the 50s and 60s. You have to like put your head down like, and look through some mirrors. You got to look back. Right. The new one, the KC-10 or the KC-46, the KC-10 has a like the three of us could sit down there w- with tables between us and like be luxurious. It's the largest piece of pressurized glass. It looks like a video game. Right. I mean, that's mm. a huge mm. window. Very comfortable. And you're looking straight out at the airplane. There's no mirrors or monitors the new airplane that, that's coming online the kc-46 has cameras that are three-dimensional i don't know how that's oh, working whoa. but yeah I know, right um, <laughs> don't really know how that's working uh but uh, ours is old school because everything's built in the 50s and 60s and so that's how that's done but so we're waiting on this b1 and you can hear the pilot and his call sign's like doom and of course he's like <laughs> in his mask he's like doom he's like thousand yards out all right so he's calling these like environmental yards as they're getting closer and closer and closer and the tanker's just like straight and level right because we're real awesome like that and the boom's out and we've got a light that shines where they need to be but not where they are right just where they need to be and so the boom's talking to the pilot and the boom's talking to the pilot and they keep like calling out and i'm like all right this i mean he's like 100 feet away like, i mean like come on where, where's this guy but uh this so the b1 is pitch black it's like, or flat black right so mm-hmm. you can't really see it and i just remember like a like a lightning flash in the background and then like it was just right there like i didn't see it like creeping like up movie. slow and it's no it's small just, aircraft no, it's bigger than us right i mean it's got like afterburners and bombs and stuff and like oh crap that was awesome and then uh i want to say it's in front the the receptacles like in front of the cockpit right a little bit so the pilots are you know trying to fly it and and mount that thing up or whatever but i was just like holy shit that was awesome. Yeah, That's super cool. That was a lightning awesome. flash. Yeah, or and, and you're in your in your like a movie. Yeah, and sure. I know I'm over Afghanistan. So uh, if I somehow survive this crash, Taliban's down there. They're gonna get me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good either. 
Huh. So, um, in you got out in out of active in two thousand September two thousand seven, um, which was a weird time because they they started doing this base reduction and closure, and me as an individual at the time, um, again like boyhood to manhood, I look at active duty because I was a little reckless. Uh, I didn't really have any accountability other than like show up to work on time, don't get arrested. Mm-hmm. I mean that that um, that part of my life was a lot of fun. I bought a uh, dirt bike, broke my arm. Uh, didn't think that was good enough. So I upgraded to a crotch rocket and, uh, you know, does 186 Mm -hmm. just as a G whiz. And like (laughs) I worked mid, so I didn't know if I should sleep before or after work. So sometimes I just try to like wing it, but, uh, yeah. Uh, 2007, I'm dating my now wife. Uh, it's clear to me that I need to get out, uh, because, the deployments aren't going to slow down. This isn't really a good way of life. Uh, and I, I think I like this girl. Mm-hmm. I think I, I want to make something of this. So decided to pull the plug, was going to college, you know, get out of the Air Force. I can, I can conquer the world. I can be a pilot or whatever I wanted to do. And um, ultimately joined the Guard because I didn't have a paycheck and I was scared of not making it. Uh, just did the one week in a month thing. Uh, in the, the Guard... Um, the 141st is they share a base with the 92nd. Uh, they have like type aircraft. They're both KC-135. So I really don't have to learn anything new. I don't really have to apply myself, which is good. Kind of fit my previous life. Um, but I, uh, I, I got in the month that the Air National Guard lost their airplanes. So they were told again, I was probably on convalescent or terminal leave or something. And they were going to lose their airplanes, so they're going to have to rent them from active duty. And I'm like, I don't know what that world looks like, but <laughs> you're telling me you're going to pay me a couple hundred bucks to work the weekend? I'll be there. Um, anyway, so th- so they lost their airplanes. They're integrated, and I'm you're, you're, I'm starting to pick up on kind of their lingo and what they're worried about and what they're talking about because a lot of people have careers focused around this airplane. I mean, like people do 35 years out there, and they just lost the resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that paid them so they they have to find out what's you know how, how to manipulate that and um anyway i i was trying to figure out what to do with my life i wanted to be a pilot uh didn't make sense to get out of the air force i should have just stayed in <laughs> uh, and applied myself over there but uh you know whatever um took a couple deployments with the guard did some work for the guard because they'll just put you on orders a pay status for a couple weeks couple months depending on their need and then uh my my landlord i lived in a duplex and i had this I, the landlord was more of a friend than he was a a landlord um and he just gave me this like nuggets of wisdom constantly and he's like jake you know you should you should look into air traffic control i heard they're hiring and, and I, I it's like so simple today and like yeah they hire once a year it's kind of a crazy hiring process it doesn't make sense it's also the job that nobody thinks about yeah as long as planes land safely nobody cares about us I've actually oh. thought about it before because I got a buddy of mine that I went to college with that's now an is, air traffic controller oh. in Alaska. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it it is a it's a bizarre. It took me a year and a half from the day I applied to the day I walked through the front doors, and that mm. was just the hiring process. Um, so during that time, like I I, I started researching the job because I had no idea what it did. Uh, I know I know how airplanes work, but that doesn't necessarily equal. Uh, air traffic. Yeah. Um, I uh, I needed a job, right? I need needed some some income, and so the guard offered me uh, to go be a cop with security forces. So in 2008, as the market was tanking, 
I, uh, I became a patrolman and worked the front gate at Fairchild and with uh, all sorts of pride as a crew chief and cops. We don't always get along, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I did a year and a half there waiting for air traffic to hire me and, and, uh, it's just a weird phase of my life. I was kind of homeless. I mean, I lived on some couches. I lived in, I rented some rooms and was still dating my wife. Uh, I was going through some personal things. And it just was, uh, just hoping that this nugget, this mm-hmm. thing that I, I was like, I'm going to invest everything I've got into this, that it would, that it would pan out for me. And after a year and a half, I finally got the call saying, get down here. Was what like, was, uh, what was that, that hiring process like? Um, so online, right. <laughs> just a simple, um, application. Uh, and basically there's a couple different ways to get in, but my route was, uh, what they call off the street. So you either have three years of college and, or, three years of work experience and six years active duty who did that for you. Um, a clean background, nothing, you know, no DUIs, uh, no, nothing really that you can pass a background, a, a pretty basic physical. It is a class two physical, um, but just a physical background and then, uh, and then waiting. I had to take some tests, um, mm. but if, if you've been in the government, you can pass multiple choice tests. So I'm and, curious, yeah. um, what's the physical for? Is it like in case the elevator's out and you got <laughs> to take the stairs? <laughs> I wish because I'm a, I'm a slender guy and they always put me up on those days that the elevator's out for maintenance. Um, no, so uh, in aviation, we, we, you want even your basic VFR pilot, your, your, um, your old farmer who has a Cessna in his, in his barn to be able to pass a flight physical. And it's basically just saying that you can see, you can hear, you can talk, you can read, um, that, that you can pass. Now that's great for a farmer in a field, but, uh, the next step by class two, uh, let's say air traffic, or maybe your moderate, uh, uh, not necessarily commercial pilot, but somebody who's flying instruments or right. Somebody who's a little bit more involved than just, uh, Hey, it's a nice day. Let's go flying. Right. Uh, so it's a little bit more in depth. So I get, I get looked over by the doctor for me right now. It's every other year. Um, they check my hearing, they check my eyes, they just do a look at you, make sure that you are, uh, mentally and physically capable of performing the duties required by aviation in general. And then, uh, your airline pilots will go through a class three physical. I think it's class three. I might have those backwards, but they, they go through both stringent, which sometimes is like a full day process huh? of, uh, checking you out right mm. i mean from a doctor's perspective and so when you said physical i, I assumed it was a, like a, a pt test no i yeah, wish so. that'd be good yeah. <laughs> uh, so that job i i uh i knew an air traffic controller yeah a very older guy he's now passed away but um he was saying at one point in time i don't know if it's still this way it's one of the most stressful jobs there that's is what, that's what we say uh it also <laughs> the only yeah i don't want to say the only stress but like training is stressful like if you've never done the job before and you're brand new to Spokane and you've got somebody plugged in next to you that has, it's technically their frequency, right? So they get to work the, the traffic, but you're supposed to be working the traffic. So you, it's basically you until you screw up and then they, you know, sit down for a minute. Well, let me fix everything. And then they, you jump back in. Uh, the hard part is you don't know what you're doing, right? It's not a job where you can necessarily read a book and know how to do it. Even though we have a book yeah. that tells us all of our rules of how to apply them every airport is different, right? Uh, uh, Feltz Field has parallel runways. Spokane International has crossing runways. There are different rules we can apply to that. Um, they they deal with different aircraft. They, Feltz Field deals with your general aviation Cessnas and sometimes your, your light twin jets. And uh, Spokane International deals with uh, the occasional heavies. You got your 737s, your Alaska Southwest. 
and um, a lot of a lot of your cargo airplanes in and out of there. So depending on the type of airplane, depending on the configuration, depending on the air airspace and and uh, the equipment we have on. Every airport, every airport is different. Even Fairchild Air Force Base, which is four miles away from us, has different rules to apply based on the aircraft that they have and the runway alignment they have. Um, so it, it's uh, there's a reason why I don't travel anymore. Not that I love it, but uh, it's it's because I know my airspace and my knowledge does not go further than my airspace. So we kind of stay put. Your friend in Alaska. I bet he knew his airspace inside and out. Um, and and I, I guarantee you, I have no idea about his airspace because mm. they have more mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, Missoula, so uh, Missoula, Montana, we control their their approach sector. So they've got a tower and we, we have this radar approach. Um, but you've got these ridiculously tall mountains over there. And so a radar works via line of sight. So you cannot see behind a mountain. So you have one airplane and you'll lose them, and they're like at 15,000 feet. So you no longer have, like on the radar scope, you can't see them anymore. He's 15,000 feet. That's really high. I mean, to lose somebody on radar. Uh, but you just let him go a little bit further. It's no big deal. Right? He's above all the mountains, and eventually he'll start descending because I know. But I, you know he's there. Yeah, I know where the radar coverage is. So I've, mm-hmm. I've been there for 10 years now, and so I know, just give it five miles or you'll be all right. <laughs> um, anyway, so th- that's... Uh, Every airspace is different. Every tower is different. Uh, the way we apply rules, which best fits us, is different. Um, Boise is our most closely located facility as far as um, we, we at Spokane are what we call an up-down. So we have a tower, so we look out the windows. And then, uh, like today, I was in the Tracon, so we have a dark room with, with radar s- sweeps, and, and we look at a broader airspace. It's like 40 miles. Um, so we call it an up-down. Uh, most facilities are strictly a tower or a some sort of radar con- control. But Boise is also an up-down. I think there's probably, I don't know, there's probably like 15, 20 up-down facilities across the country. Um, Boise m- kind of mimics our airspace as far as complexity. They get military aviation. They do have some terrain. So we kind of kind of bounce ideas off the, hey, how are you guys applying this rule? Mm. And although like they might tell us, oh, we see it this way because X, Y, Z, we're like, oh, well, we don't have Z in our equation. So I guess we don't have to follow the way you're doing it. We get to do (laughs) what's best for us. But, uh, and they'd be like, cool, we're going to do it our way. Like, all right, that's fine. Mm. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, A lot of us get kind of aggressive. There's a lot of tempers, uh, but, but safety is never, I don't say never compromised. The goal is never to compromise safety. Um, there are a lot of pilots who think that they're the most important voice in the air and they don't realize that I've got somebody who's about to smack into a mountain. They didn't know that, right? They don't have the full picture. They have their picture. Um, anyway, it's just kind of, it's, it makes it kind of interesting because some pilots will get aggressive and they'll realize that maybe their request or whatever they're looking for can wait. Oh, just be a little patient. Do you ever... Do you ever secretly wonder what it would be like to work same job at like LAX? Oh, every day of my life. Really? I, I really like working the traffic. So the the, the uh, volume of traffic uh, at Spokane is so intermittent. We, we are like the Wild West. So most air traffic facilities will have a, uh, what we call like arrival gates or departure corridors, right? So it's a very structured flow. So if you go to Atlanta, you can sit in the parking lot at Atlanta and just watch planes take off every about every 90 seconds and they're going on procedural routes right to climb up and get on course right and everybody knows this altitude this direction this altitude and this is all just in place right like because they work so many airplanes every day but they don't have a Cessna on final 
right? And a Cessna is going to do like 80 knots on final and you got a 737 doing 160 knots on final and you have to try to figure this out because it's not always perfect. <laughs> um, and, or, uh, so the tankers, the case, my, I'll call them my Casey 135s over at Fairchild, we share a final with Fairchild. So we have this overlapping final. Well, the KC-135s, because they're classified as a heavy, deliver more wake turbulence. So you have to put airplanes further behind them in order to, to run them into Fairchild. Well, not, not you just like add a mile, right? A mile or two, depending on what you're doing. Um, not a big deal, but like just adds to the complexity. Whereas SeaTac, everybody's a commercial airline mm. or on some sort of clearance because they're a certain performance aircraft, right? All the small airplanes go into Boeing Field or Payne Field or Tacoma Narrows on the west side of the state, right? They just kind of stay to their sectors. Whereas, I mean, if, if you're in a Cessna and you're like, hey, Seattle, I want to do touch and go, they'd be like, no, <laughs> I don't really want you to do that. At Spokane, we're dumb enough. We're like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I've got a bunch of tankers mm-hmm. you know, over there. And, uh, so I, we're not dumb. We're, we're uh, it's, it, it makes it kind of fun because the, the part of air traffic control gets take at, taken out of it when you start proceduralizing everything where everything happens for a certain reason at a certain place at a certain time and that's based on a certain aircraft performing a certain way with a professional pilot right mm-hmm. um we the, a couple of weeks ago <laughs> i had a cessna come in and it was it was barely vfr so like if if you wanted to go get your pilot's license you fly under visual conditions basically meaning you can't fly through a cloud you need like three miles of visibility right you have to have certain weather conditions to take off um, so this guy came in and it was close to not having that, but he came in, he landed safely, whatever, thought he was good. And about like four hours later, he decided he wanted to go to Deer Park. So he gets in his airplane, he tries taxiing out and he's like, yeah, we're going to go up to Deer Park. And I'm like, man, like the weather's still not good at Spokane. I mean, like it's snow and ice, they're plowing everywhere. Like, why does anybody want to just take an Uber, man? Like, <laughs> seriously. But uh, he's like, ah, I'm going to go to your park. So I asked him to check the notice to airmen, the notums of any runway closures, like what the conditions are like, what the weather's like up there. It's only like 20 miles away. It's not a, it's not a long flight. But he really wanted to get to Deer Park. He's like, ah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. So I, I picked up the phone and I called the manager. It's just some, you know, some guy sitting up there answering the phone. And he, he's, I was like, hey, uh, what, what is your field like? Like, can we got a Cessna that wants to come in. Can you make it? And he's like, no, there's black ice everywhere. Like, <laughs> no way. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm not going to let him leave. And I hang up and I tell the guy, like, hey, um, th- there's black ice on the runway. So unless you want to, like, land in the grass, which you probably don't want to. Like, I don't know anybody that really wants to do that at Deer Park because it's not like it's not a runway. It's not like a manicured thing. But uh, he's like, oh, man. <laughs> and you just see him like trying to process this like I don't get to fly where I want to fly like no you don't I mean because it's you <laughs> sorry you might die <laughs> right oh. but uh, go ahead and park and take an Uber I guess you'd be fine but uh, anyway. it's a good job I like it yeah it's a lot of fun uh, let's take a break Jake alright Jason and I want to start a quote of the week and we want your help if you have a funny motivating or otherwise dastardly quote hit us up at dadfactors at gmail.com If you want to or know someone who would be an entertaining guest on the show, you can contact us with the same email. That's dadfactors at gmail.com. So anyways, um, (laughs) had some good conversations during the break. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. Uh, So how many children you got? Well, I have two kids. Uh, Sydney is uh, three and a half and uh, Everest just turned one like uh, two weeks ago. So well, a boy and a girl, boy and a girl, yeah. two kids. Nice. Yeah. 
the boys don't the know younger. if we're done. Correct. Oh, don't, really? Do not know. Uh, I do not make these decisions in my life. Yeah. I have. Uh, I have influence, uh, <laughs> but uh, sleep is very important to us. And we've we've got uh, our daughter is. Uh, I think she wakes up in the middle of the night and just misses us. So she wants yeah. to come wake us up and tell us how much she misses us. But, yeah. uh, um, the, these these uh, I guess I, I'm I'm still relatively a new father, and I feel like the kids will grow out of it someday. But what are the tricks to getting to getting her to hurry up and grow out of it? Uh, I don't really know because. <laughs> In the middle of the night when she's like, I just want my daddy. I'm like, okay, I'm awake. Like, whatever you need. And I will, uh, she's got a little recliner in her room and I'll sit there and not get any sleep before I have to go to work just to just to make her have a better day, I guess, or sleep yeah. better through the night, which, uh, man, kids are awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I had no idea. I mean, I was I was a wild man as a, as a military guy, a young kid. I never knew that uh, I, I didn't think marriage was for me at the time, but... Yeah. Uh, we've got two kids and my, my son started walking maybe a month and a half ago. He's into everything. He's, he, I mean, he is, he likes being roughhoused. Whereas my daughter, you know, <laughs> when she was at that age, wasn't into that, but like, I don't know. There's just a riot. Uh, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm a motorcycle fanatic. I, I am a, I, I like my guns. I, I like all the toy. I've had snowmobiles and dirt bikes and I've, I mean, I've had all the toys, but like, I don't really have them anymore because yeah. I got kids yep. and they're fun. So. Yeah, well, they say if you don't want like uh, if you don't like sleep or money, yeah. definitely have some oh, kids. Oh man, like I yeah. tell you, we, we so we we uh, I bought a house when I was <laughs> when I was uh, with the cops. Um, I knew I was getting into air traffic. I knew I was coming back to Spokane. Uh, so I bought a house because it was two thousand nine and the market was down. Um, Good bought time. a but yeah, yeah, bought a four bed, two bath, two car garage <laughs> on the South Hill, and uh, it didn't pan out well for me. It didn't pan out bad, but like could have been better, should have been better, but. Uh, my wife moved in with me a couple of years later. Um, once I was back from air traffic and all certified, we got married and she, I think she just got tired of the house. She's like, we're buying another house. So upgraded houses in, uh, 2018, hmm. just another spot on the South Hill, a little bit bigger house, cul-de-sac, nice neighborhood. And, uh, the house looked like it was built in 1972 because it was, hmm. and it still looked like that on the inside. So she was like, all right, first thing we're going to do. Remodel. is destroy this house yeah. so. so as a as an air traffic controller you got a kind of a hectic schedule what is your what does a typical week hours wise look like for oh you? man uh so it's uh standard 40 hours a week but uh we at spokane work nine 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 hours nine hours eight hours seven hours seven hours so no, we call it nine nine eight seven seven so uh on monday i because i usually work uh monday through friday other people work tuesday through sunday or whatever that might be they have yeah. wednesday thursday off or something like that. they have weird days off but they they like uh they like those days so i go to work monday afternoon at three and work till midnight and then i come in on tuesday usually around noon and work till nine um and then so off tuesday at nine o'clock in to work wednesday morning at 8 a.m work till usually 3 p.m that's the eight hour day or 7 7 a.m to 3 p.m and then uh, Thursday from yeah, 6 a.m. till 1 p.m. And then off Thursday afternoon, back in at Thursday night, 11 <laughs> till 6 a.m. Uh, I think they call it the Rattler or something like that. But, uh, the whole point of it is to get that uh, that influx of traffic, the busy traffic, the slow traffic, and spread it out for, for everybody to work so we all have a taste of it. Um, so, so you're off Thursday at 
three and you come back no. at 11? Off Thursday at 1 p.m., so just afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, and you come back in at 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do have rules. You cannot exceed between a swing shift and a day shift, like nine hours. And between a day shift and the mid shift, you have to have eight hours. So what happens if somebody calls in sick? Do you guys have to cover that? So the people who are off those days, because we have uh, we have 24 hours a day, 365 days a week coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you have to work Christmas. It just happens. Um, so those who, who have the day off, sometimes they'll answer <clears throat> the overtime calls. Sometimes they won't. Uh, right now we're in a low where we don't have enough people thanks to COVID, thanks to government shutdowns in the past. It screws up the hiring process. It screws up the training process. So... Uh, we're really behind, so we're really understaffed, and I think most of us are aware of it. Uh, it it just comes down to numbers. Like, uh, yeah, I would only like to work forty hours a week. I'd like to work like thirty hours a week or less, but uh, I'm required to work forty. And if they need me to work forty eight one extra day, I mean, they're going to pay me a little bit extra mm-hmm. to work that day. Uh, that doesn't suck. So, uh, yeah, sure, I'll work that. I mean, most of us are okay with it, especially if you can schedule it and plan your life around it. Um, a lot of people, again, get stung by a bee, take Benadryl. We're on the control roster. You have to take a day or two off because of the, the drug you have to take to get over the, the bee sting or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. So that uh, that impacts instead of like knowing I have overtime, they might just call me. And if I answer uh, is up to me, which is kind of nice. But uh, but yeah. essentially, so I'm trying to grasp your schedule, yours specifically. Um, but essentially, you would get off Friday huh. morning at like six a.m. Yeah. yeah, so this part and then you this don't go back until Monday at three. Monday yeah, that that part kind of doesn't suck because maybe I've been in Nashville, Tennessee, and only taken maybe one day off of work, mm-hmm. and, and you're able to fly across the country yeah. uh, because the time change coming home is in our favor. So like maybe you call in because you're not feeling good on Friday. So Thursday after you leave work, you get on the airplane, you fly to Nashville, and then uh, you have to come back on Sunday afternoon or maybe even yeah. Monday morning. Anyway, a lot of people uh, make the most of it. We do, ha- we do have some, we're able to fly in the cockpit of a handful of airlines and cargo airplanes th- through a training program. Um, that's all, you know, I mean, you can't be hungover doing that stuff. You have to be dressed in, in suit and you gotta be, you gotta be taking notes. Like it, it is a professional learning experience, which is kind of cool. It's a free flight, but uh, yeah, uh, you're off work Friday, Friday uh, at six a.m. So is there is there a reason why they do uh, the the shifts the way that they do them instead of having yeah I don't yeah I wish seven yeah I wish I had a good answer for you other than understanding the the volume of traffic like overnight is very low in the morning we only experience departures right so everybody's leaving nobody's coming in so you don't have this crisscross of traffic. And then uh, in the afternoon, everybody's coming in, nobody's leaving. So in the brunt of the day, when everybody's leaving and coming in, that's the majority of the traffic. Arrivals are a lot harder work than departures. And you include the military with their shenanigans. You include flight schools because they need to go uh, practice and the most inconvenient spots at the most inconvenient times, which, which is what they do. It's still kind of fun to accommodate because then everybody else has to move around them. Um, if any pilot complains about some flight student in their way, at one time that pilot was a flight student. You know, mm-hmm. so Southwest was a flight student at some time. So, so I guess if you did do regular, like a regular shift, yeah, right, where somebody's going to be working graveyard, mm-hmm. and that's usually the lowest person on the totem not, pole, not right? Really, so you, some people really like that shift. Maybe, but yeah. 
is you know where we come from that's the oh, yeah. people right yeah. and and um you know so essentially they wouldn't get the experience that somebody that worked the peak hours would get correct um and but there's it you know it's kind of funny i've i've been uh i work with the same crew the same uh, there's three of us uh we work saturdays and sundays off we get along really well we all have the shifts that we like and we're kind of molded so i know what shifts i will fall in monday through friday um they they typically would rotate um from week to week so your late swing instead of working three to midnight maybe you work two to eleven uh this week and next week's three to midnight on your monday right so like you might you might change that and i was like i don't really want that i three to midnights i get the most of the day with my kids um i get i usually have an hour extra time so i go do some woodworking in my in my garage or chores or errands if i have to run them so uh, i have a built-in like maybe hour or two that i can go get something done uh but and i like that if you if my work schedule changed to 2 to 11 i would probably lose that uh i know it's only an hour but i i would just prep differently and our babysitter would be the the you know the childcare situation would be different and so uh i'm happy with my schedule i don't want it changed i don't mind mm-hmm. working 3 to midnight gets kind of tough i wear contacts and i can start feeling dry out and like you're driving home it's late and you're tired but it's monday it's not there's not much traffic out there i think the worst part is my son likes to wake up at 3:30 cuz he's hungry so uh <laughs> I uh, wake up at 3.30 with him and feed him. But yeah. uh, I didn't get to see him Monday night. I'm not going to see him usually Tuesday night. So uh, although he's sleeping and tr- like petting my beard or something, <laughs> he's kind of like, Dad, is that you? Now, <laughs> uh, totally I've, I've been there, <laughs> yeah. and you're probably soon to be there, um, at least if you haven't been already. Uh, do you think it's difficult on kids when they – when the hall say Christmas is coming, right? And you yeah. know you gotta work. Yeah. And do you think it's do you think that's difficult on kids or do you think <sighs> if you if they gotta wait an extra day and they can't open their presents on Christmas, but they open them the day after Christmas, yeah. you know? Uh, uh you know, I, I don't I I'll say I don't know, but I know uh growing up again with with parents that were, were divorced, um, I got used to having two Christmases, right? Uh but my dad always had us on Christmas Eve, always. And so we, we were um, five or six hours away in OMAC. We had to cross two mountain passes to get to get to dad. And so we were always traveling, but like dad's Christmas was the first one and usually the most exciting. Whereas like after that, like look at all these presents I have, I want to play with them. But oh, I mean, like it's cool. I got more presents, you know? So like from mom and stepdad and like, that's always fun and stuff. But uh, um the day, the actual day, for the longest time, I didn't know what Christmas day was because I thought it was the 24th mm. when that was always with dad. And 25th was was really Christmas. But so so I like to think, uh, you know, until kids are maybe, let's say, high school age, like they're not really the wiser on the actual day. So um, because, because of my upbringing, my wife had... Uh, pretty structured family she's got a brother and uh, and two parents and they you know uh they 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 did travel he was a air force colonel um but christmas was always on christmas they did travel sometimes but uh it, it was just a, a, a completely different upbringing than i had that uh when we were dating and married i have my mom who lives in omac uh her parents who also live in omac 
And then my dad who lives on the west side of the state, um, you know, five hours away. So how do we divide our time up equally? Well, the easiest is just to go to OMAC. Her parents have a nicer setup for us to stay in. My mom's got a nice place to stay. It's only like two miles away from her parents. Right? So it's not, it's not a long drive. We'd go to her mom's for breakfast or something like that. But, uh, but my dad is over there on the west side of the state. We've got to like balance this out. And, and I, I do not like having to decide between families. Like it's, it's just kind of mm-hmm. tough because all the parents are like, hey, come to us, come to us, come to us. And I, I've always said like, I'll do that until I have a kid. I'm not doing that anymore. My kids are going to wake up, they're going to walk down the hall, and they're going to see presents. Um, and th- this year, or this last Christmas, was, I'll say, exhibit A of what I wanted, because my daughter is now old enough to understand Santa. She used to be terrified, maybe because I like, threw her on Santa's lap, and <laughs> I got the picture. This old man. And yeah. it was wonderful of her like screaming her face off. That was <laughs> such the, a great picture. The Santa <laughs> smiling yeah. and the kid going, ah! Yeah. Uh, that was uh, so great. But, <clears throat> you know, the build-up to Christmas was a lot of fun. Uh, the, you know, we would drove around neighborhoods and looked at Christmas lights. All of my son's too small to really understand anything. We keep talking about Santa's and bring presents, you know, like, are you going to make them cookies? And yeah, she did. And Santa ate those cookies and they were good. <laughs> they were delicious. Yeah. <laughs> he told me. <laughs> um, I got a side note is yeah. my, my oldest, my oldest boy this year it took it on upon himself to make Christmas cookies for Santa oh. and they were peanut butter cookies. And Santa, <laughs> Santa loved them. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I got to be careful what I say here, but they were less than good. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I think he, I think he may have doubled like uh, the baking soda or oh. something. It, something weird happened, hey. but it was totally like my wife and I didn't even supervise him. Oh man. He just like went over and started putting stuff in the mixer and he was reading the recipe and stuff. And I mean, and then they fluffed up and each, each little, each little scoop of dough ended up fluffing up like 15 (laughs) times. And there were these big, puff balls right they were yeah. huge they were massive and, baking, and then baking and then after they cooled off they got really hard <laughs> but santa loved them he ate the crap out of them he he, he did nice, nice. <laughs> well we we got my daughter at uh, three a bicycle for christmas that was her and we we realized it last minute like her birthday's in august it's going to be this like long spring summer where she's got this little pink tricycle that she barely fits on. It's really cute because she'll ride it, but like, looks like the clown on a bike type thing, you know. She, but she's like excited to ride a tricycle. So we found a bicycle, of course, like two days before Christmas, and uh, hide it in the garage. And we try to make the point like Santa got her this wooden train set, you know, those old wooden like yeah. you put them together train set, which is actually kind of cool. Maybe I enjoyed it more than she did, but <laughs> she got it. And then we let her open the helmet. Uh, but she came out of her bedroom in the morning. We always have breakfast before we can open presents just to like, just to, just to add to that. Right. Um, and, uh, but she, as she came out for breakfast, she's like, where's my bike? And we're like, we don't know. Like, like this was not a conversation. I don't know where she got any of that, but you just see this curious girl, like where I thought Santa was here. And then the tree was downstairs. She prefaced that. Like, so she walked up, she's upstairs and she's like, where's my, where's Santa? And we're like, I don't know. Have you checked downstairs? And she goes downstairs and there's, you know, more presents and she's excited. And so she finally, at the last present, she gets to open her helmet and she's excited that there's a new pink helmet and she's so, so happy. And I was in the garage and I snuck in there with the bike, with the bell and the basket and the streamers. <laughs> and, 
Uh, and now she's just so happy. I mean, this girl who barely knew how to ride a bike and she, she will not get off of the thing, just rides it around the neighborhood. And, uh, I don't know. There, there's, uh, as much as I enjoyed my motorcycle, I think that was, <laughs> that was more fun watching my yeah. daughter, uh, react to a, a bicycle because I, I don't know if you guys remember your first bicycle. I remember mine, mm-hmm. the Huffy, right? They rode that thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh, yeah. I my kids, mine. my kids, we had this issue, uh, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before that, um, me and my wife, we typically always like go all out for Christmas, right? Sure, my not? kids, <clears throat> they're now 10 and eight. Right. Um, and they, <laughs> after Christmas was done, right. We probably spent, I don't know, a grand each on them. Right. Yeah. Right. Whatever. And, uh, we go, how was your Christmas? And they go, meh. Both of them. (laughs) (laughs) I got so freaking mad, right? I'm like, what do you mean, meh? Like, what didn't you get? They're like, oh, we got everything. Just, it was okay. (laughs) That's it, right? I I got all mad, right? Christmas Day. I'm like, next year, you guys are, I'm only allowing Santa to bring two presents, you know? (laughs) Of course, I. It didn't do that, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to, yeah. I like to surprise them and stuff. And, um, but we've had to have lessons on like being grateful, you know. That's but a tough thing to do. <clears throat> it is, it is. But I mean, so fast forward to this this last Christmas that we just had, and um, it's very interesting when you ask a kid like, "What do you want for Christmas?" and they can't think of anything. And that's where my kids are. So I'm like, well. Looks oh. like we're doing a couple trips to Goodwill. Yeah, you know? I will box that up for you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, my kids get one gift from dad, one gift from mom, and one gift from Santa. Nice. Now, if they get one from grandma and grandpa, you know, or somebody else, that's fine too. But that's what they get. And that's it. Whatever we spend on them is what we spend on them, and yeah. whatever Santa spends on them is what Santa spends on them. But um, that's just it is what it is, yeah. And and that's what they've got their whole life. And yeah, no, that that's probably a good thing to set. Yeah. But I, I, my parents were always like that. Like Christmas Day was always like my uh, family was always like medium income, you know. So when they went, they started shopping like in July just so we could <laughs> have big Christmases and. I don't know. Something I've always had. So when my my parents or my mom comes over now for uh, Christmas, <coughs> um, she brings more presents than we freaking have no. in the house already. So I mean, <laughs> if I only gave one present, I would feel bad from my my standpoint. You know, like, well, your grandma really outdid your dad. <laughs> Santa also does the stockings, which is a yeah. little bit yeah. different. <coughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, they're they're. Grandma got him uh, Oculus Quest Two for Ooh, Christmas old. this year. Um, just one, not one each, but um, to share for the two of them. But so they they got to open that on Christmas Eve this year, did, so that Grandma could FaceTime nice. the reaction and stuff. And did did that result in a real fight or a virtual reality fight? <laughs> um, well, yes, <laughs> it's it's resulted in multiple real oh, fights nice. and at least. <laughs> At least four or five <laughs> virtual reality fights. That's funny. Um, because they have a boxing thing on oh, there. Oh, nice. Right? And, and my son plays the boxing thing. But anyway, uh, they do fight over it 
Um, and I also joined in on the oh, festivities. Okay, so yeah, just show them what's up. And, yeah, <laughs> but you know, Dad's got the trump card, right? Yeah. So that boom, I, you're you're done. Yeah. That's the ace of spades. Yeah. You're out. Face push. Yeah, this is my <laughs> this, that's my hand. So um, uh, yeah, but when when they opened it this year, the Oculus Quest Two, because that's the one thing that they both wanted, right? And it was Christmas Eve, so that, you know, like I said, we could FaceTime with grandma and stuff. And they opened that thing and ran laps around the house. Dang. Yeah. I, it was one of those, like, you know, it was like an 80s Christmas yeah. special, is what it was. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> is what it felt like nice. to me. Uh, and and they were running around the house screaming, ah! <laughs> like they won the lottery or something, you know? And it's like, yes. You didn't prank them? Like, yes. Just, just give them the box yeah. and just open it up and oh, there's like a I book wish. in there? I, yeah. wish we had, I wish we had done that. Maybe, you know what? Maybe next year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They think they're getting another one. Yeah. Nah, it's the same box. <laughs> <laughs> there's George Orwell's 1984 in there. <laughs> so um, I got a couple yeah, more questions yeah. about... Um, Air traffic controlling. Uh, so you work in Spokane. Mm -hmm. Is it a a local like I don't know what you call it like academy, or do you go somewhere? So we. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I had to go somewhere. Um, most people have to go <clears throat> somewhere. So I have no background in this job. I have no idea what it does. I just know. I can pass tests, uh -huh. not necessarily like ace them, but like, give me the material, I will pass that test. Especially when it comes to airplanes, there's a lot I don't need to learn because I understand what an epinage and a fuselage mm -hmm. and like engines are. Um, so Oklahoma City is the location. The uh, It's called the Mike Monroney Aeronautical Center. It's at the airport there in Oklahoma City. Um, some senator or something like that passed the law and that's where all the FAA, not just air traffic, but also like our... Uh, the guys and, and gals, for the record, uh, who maintain all the equipment on the airfield, the radar sites across the country, uh, all the equipment, every all the training. There's a whole bunch of like uh, life support training. Like we like they encouraged us to sign up for like studies, you know, because like people like want to know your psyche in, in certain situations, and we're just like students, or like yeah, just bring them in here. <laughs> um, that's all done in Oklahoma City. So I got I went to Oklahoma City in uh, November 2009. Um, and was there for about four months for training. And you, again, progress through training from like strict book work to like, hey, this is the weather and this is an airplane and this is a runway and like just book work. Um, once you pass that, you move into phase two, uh, which is a little bit more like they have these built-in tabletops, which look like an airfield, just like very generic um, you know, I don't know, a, a room maybe like 20 by 20 and in the middle of it looks like a runway with taxiways and a terminal ramp. Right. And so on that, we have toy airplanes, like seriously bought from the <laughs> toy store and, uh, you would have like one or two in the touch and go pattern and we would all like plug in. And so there's one guy that's an air traffic controller, one gal, and all of us would, because we're all trying to learn how to speak on the radio because it can be difficult. Uh, to understand what we're supposed to say. And like, it's it's not precise, right? I mean, like, it's like me handing the airplane over there <laughs> and handing that. And then like, so there's like a jet 
in the touch and go pattern getting passed by a Cessna in the touch and go pattern because somebody's not paying attention. But like, that's not really the point. Um, and then once everybody kind of like fumbles through that, they open up the simulators, which is a, about a 270 degree screen. Um, if you could just imagine standing in from your left to right peripherals is that airfield. It's a make-believe, it, it's called Academy Airport. It's a make-believe airfield and they have uh, computer-generated voices that taxi airplanes. Everything is voice recognition. It's actually a pretty cool system. Uh, Fairchild Air Force Base has a similar setup, um, to, but it's it's obviously their runway and their setup out there. We have a, uh, a driven-down version of it with a bunch of, like, 55-inch TVs linked up and... Uh, Anyway, so you go to the academy, once you pass the academy, and it's it's not, it, it is a pass-fail, but like the, the ones who failed, we saw coming. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not something that surprised anybody. They do have a last chance effort to prove that they can work the traffic, but uh, it, if they just can't do it, they can't do it, and they're, they are terminated at that point. But then you get your, I mean, um, I at the time knew I was coming back to Spokane today, uh, if you're in the training system, you have to pass that final exam and then you get to pick your facility, which kind of sucks because <clears throat> it's nationwide. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are from the Northeast and they have no ambitions to go to the Midwest, but they're stuck in the Midwest because that's the first, furthest east anyway. So it's, it's a, that's a screwy system. But um, I got to come back to Spokane, knew I was here, I already owned a house, uh, showed up on day one, back in the books, classroom stuff. Uh, you know, you read books for so long, you take a break, you go to the tower and you watch real airplanes Yeah. Uh, on your break. You talk to the real controllers, right, that you're going to be working with. Some of them are going to be training you. You're looking out the window. Hey, how does this work? How does that work? And uh, just trying to understand there's only so much you can get away from simulation and automation uh, and, and then to input in real life. And so uh, this is where all the material you've learned now starts to hit the road. And I think I was in class for about three weeks, just studying Spokane. Um, our, our airport, our surrounding airports, airplanes, our procedures, the way we do things here. And then uh, plugged in one day with my trainer. And it was, of course, 5.30 in the morning. And so all those departures are wanting clearances and taxi instructions. And like, and you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, there's so many airplanes, right? And it, and it is. It's our busiest morning push. But... Why couldn't they just start me in the slow time? I don't know, but uh, that's what they chose. So, huh. uh, it, it's it's a um, we have other people who come in. They were Air Force controllers, and they would would like direct hire or something like that. So they get their first day. They never they never went to Oklahoma City. They just show up at our facility, but they have a certification from somewhere in the world, um, mm -hmm. whether that's Afghanistan or new jersey i don't gotcha. you know so they show up and they do have a general understanding of air traffic which is good but we have to teach them the ways of spokane which mm -hmm. is different than new jersey or yeah. east coast anything so like you said with like montana or whatever with the yeah. mountain yeah stuff stuff it, like that yep. Every, yeah. absolutely everything is different everywhere you go uh I, I have friends across the country who either started in spokane or have met uh arlington washington north of seattle has this experimental fly-in every year and they have a, so if two airplanes land on the runway at the same time, there is a distance between them we're supposed to maintain depending on type of aircraft. It's 3000 feet, the closest you get to get airplanes. Well, how do you measure that? Well, you kind of have markers out there, but like Spokane, we don't really have that. I mean, that's, we don't have that many small airplanes. We have bigger planes, which you just have to be clear of the runway. So like, 
nobody on the runway because they're bigger airplanes. So we don't really push that because in the event that you lose separation, you have to send somebody around, which costs a lot of money. So you like, you just build an extra separation before you get to the point where you have to send somebody around. So um, <clears throat> I went to Arlington uh, and it's an experimental fly-in. So everybody that comes in there has less than a Cessna, right? So there's uh, all sorts of airplanes I don't talk to. There's long easies, there's uh, Sonics, there's RVs, there's there's all sorts of like little airplanes. And it's, and it's in the procedures because it's just one weekend out of the year that these pilots are not allowed to talk on frequency. <laughs> so they all go and circle this field to the east and there's a controller out there with a radio looking up and says, hey, yellow high wing, you know, rock your wings, proceed inbound to the train tracks, right? Inner left wow. town or whatever, something like that, right? And then, like contact the tower, right? And I didn't get to do that. It sounds like fun, right? But they're, they are just in a lawn chair and they have a walkie talkie, <laughs> right? And the pilots are not allowed to talk. And basically they're, they're sequencing. So everybody from everywhere, from the, from the west side of the state to, to the east side of the state. I know one of our local pilots over here in Spokane, I, I saw him come in and I was like, oh man, that guy's from Davenport. That's crazy. Right? Mm. Gave him a shout out. Hey, what's up, man? How's Davenport's <laughs> weather today? Right? And he was like, oh, what are you doing? Anyway, so, um, <clears throat> so that's kind of neat. And then our tower, uh, we're only allowed 1,500 feet and it's a 4,500 foot <laughs> runway. So technically you could say there's three aircraft allowed on the runway at one time. Although... It's not really monitored or measured, <laughs> and all the pilots are game for playing this air traffic thing, so you can move a lot of airplanes and get them to land at the same time, which is just, again, uh, I'm used to one airplane on the runway at a time. Mm-hmm. So it was just so uh, fascinating to see what it takes, or, and it's, it is telling a pilot to do something opposed to just like clear to land, and they they turn base and final on their own, and they land. Uh, you, you tell them, you're going to turn base now, Right or turn base midfield. Anyway, you start just playing with the rules a little bit, and then you watch uh, uh, these aircraft perform because they're smaller, because they can maneuver better than a. The, a you really don't want to mess with a jet that way, because there's like a hundred people on on board, right? And like, hmm. you know, you're maybe you're finishing your drink, or those flight attendants are still up or something. Anyway, so the, the the you don't mess with the jets that way. But when it comes to general aviation, you can you can push them around a little bit. But flight students, you don't want to do that. Anyway, so it's just a. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't get to do that at Spokane. I got to do that at Arlington for uh, about three or four days, uh, and it was man, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. so, it was it was so different. It was so much fun. But. Huh? What? Uh, I know you said your landlord slash friend got you into uh, air traffic controlling, but did you know anything about that before that? No idea. I I mean, like honestly, no idea. Um, I I had in credit to my landlord. Uh, I mean, this guy, he owed me nothing. I was just a, just a 23 year old kid who was looking for someplace other than your standard apartment. And he had a nice place overlooking a golf course and a two car garage and the price was right, but he was old. He was divorced. He had three sons that lived across the state and uh, he knew that he needed somebody to stay in that apartment. I don't think rent was important to him. I just think it was, if you smell something funny, here's the number you need to call. Right. Right? I mean, uh-huh. uh, but, uh, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about our traffic, but you know, he was, uh, he was a retired air force B 52 pilot. So I, because I was military and a crew chief, uh, we kind of connected on airplanes and then we started, he, he did flight simulator. He would just like fly airplanes around Spokane. And I just thought that was fascinating. He had to like, the only reason why he had a computer was to fly 
flight simulator. Um, and he'd buzz around Spokane. He'd let me fly a little bit. And then we started playing Xbox together. And it was good for his because he's, you know, mid-70s at the time. And You ever play that Microsoft flight simulator? Uh, my computer's not good enough. Sorry. I know you're right, I know you're right in the middle of an answer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I, yes, I, I do. Uh, I, I do um, because I, I enjoy flying. I do have a couple flight hours, but like I, I... Well, because as an air traffic controller, you could get on there and really F with people. Be, <laughs> be the air traffic controller, right? And, <laughs> and say all the stuff you but always nobody, wanted yeah. to say, but never yeah. could. But there's no... like there, There's a couple of YouTube channels of people are doing that. And I think one's like Air Force Proud or something. Right, the guy is, the guy is hilarious, right? And like... <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. I just I don't have the comedy. I mean, I have the strict because the FA is by the rules and every all the funny things I say are off frequency or all the <laughs> shit talking I have is like I unkey and then like talk smacked people and then like yes sir have a great day. Well, that's absolutely <laughs> what we do at work on the radio. Oh, but nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes it's on the radio. Sometimes it's on the radio. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> usually it's off the radio. Yeah. But the the, the the landlord uh, he was he was key in to get me into air traffic. He gave me all sorts of nuggets of advice just just for life. I mean just. Uh, as a 23, 24 year old, I was getting serious with my girlfriend. He had an opinion on marriage. He was like, ah, you know, <laughs> don't mm-hmm. get into that. But um, he, you know, he had experienced that and just it didn't work out well for him. But uh, uh, once I got into air traffic and I had bought my house, I had kind of moved on. I invited him out the tower and took. He, he he always took me out to lunch, so he took me out to lunch. And I took him to my work and uh, just seeing him, this you know old, I mean like old B fifty two pilot from the day. Uh, just kind of be so excited to like, I can't believe you're doing this. And I was like, yeah, you know, and uh, I, I only have one person to credit for that. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's the guy who told me about it. And that's, so that do you guys cool. have like a, um, like a recruiting program or anything no. for, for like, you know, being short staffed? <laughs> no, uh, I think we do a decent job. I, I've been off social media for a while. Uh, I know when I was, I mean, you know, it was that daily routine in your life. It was uh, when it pops up. I, I meet a lot of people that are interested, um, but then I'm like, I don't know when they're, I, I really don't know when they're going to open the window, mm-hmm. but when they open the window, you have to be ready to apply. Yeah. Uh, and so the general rules for any of your listeners are uh, under the age of 31 by the date of hire, because we're forced to retire at 56 and that's 25 years of service. Um, I've had a lot, I like, I know a lot of people who get really close to that and like it gets nerve wracking that you're even trying to, to accomplish this thing. So, um, so max age 31, again, uh, three years of either work experience or college, um, and a clean background, you know, no DUIs, no convictions, no, um, I guess felony warrants or, I mean, yeah. fill in the blank and that, but, uh, um, it there, you can either go, that's, that's considered off the street. Uh, higher you can go to college for it which i don't want to slam the kids who decide to go to college to get an air traffic degree but if you don't get an air traffic it's not really a good degree so um there <laughs> yeah. are there are two and four year schools that that offer this i think there's like 20 schools in the nation who kind of like solicit like hey we can uh we, we do these air traffic degrees and it's a segue into the faa but like it's not a guarantee mm-hmm. which which i i Man, like if you if you pay because there's a couple of flight school or aviation schools, Embry Riddle and North uh, University of North Dakota, those are the big aviation schools in the country. Those are the Harvard and Stanford's of mm. of the country for aviation schools. If you're getting air traffic from them, you're paying a premium going to a four year, and some kids going to a community college getting a two year, and it has nothing to do with how much you paid for that. It has everything to do 
with the day you're hired and how well you do in training. Mm. Uh, the the key is to to get hired and get through training. Um, and then there's you can join the military as well, which I would recommend. I think uh, the military is a wonderful experience for me. I did not do air traffic. Um, I I think those who do uh, fare pretty well in the military or in the, in the FAA, if that if that is the goal, because that's usually the that's where the bacon is, right? I mean, that's where we're all enjoying the paycheck. But when you were yeah. when you were in the military, did you did you <clears throat> did you ever think that you would be an air traffic? Controller? Oh man, so <laughs> solid question. So the crew chief <laughs> truck, which is where I work. Uh, is full of naysayers and basically we're all miserable we just don't want to admit it although like some of the best and just a caveat like the best time in my life was on the crew chief truck i mean the the shenanigans we we get into like just the fun that we had was incredible but if you said oh my gosh i want to go be an air traffic controller you'd have seven people out of 15 (laughs) on the truck telling you like that's the most stressful job you're gonna get washed out they yell at you in training like oh my gosh you don't want to do that and it's like why is anybody telling like none of you are air traffic controllers none of you have mm-hmm. been through the training like why are you saying any of that like you don't know and it's it's a lot of military stuff is hearsay um and i was lucky enough to not be in the military technically i mean i was in the guard but uh i applied and i was sitting in my duplex like now what now what do i do mm-hmm. i need a job um while I was waiting for that. So I didn't have the naysayers. And then I started hearing some of the naysayers, uh, which were fellow friends, uh, crew chiefs of mine from the past. were like, oh my gosh, I hear it's that way or this way. Cool story. Uh, I, I'm going to train. I'm going to, if they put me through training, I will challenge, I will accept the challenge and I will pass. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, as long as they give me the information I need to succeed, I will pass. And I believe that for anybody who accepts any challenge in their life. I don't care if it's air traffic. I don't care if it's going to basic. They will give you the information you need in some facet. And it is up to you to take it and regurgitate it and answer the questions that they will give you at the end. Um, and and it frustrates me when I hear somebody say, you can't do something because we can do it. Don't tell me I can't. Um, it's, it's okay to Absolutely. say, I hear it's this way, I hear it's that way, but don't tell me I can't do it. Uh, Absolutely. I agree. I agree 100% with that. So you can't do it, right? No, I asked this, I asked this question. You can't do that. I asked this question (laughs) to every guest on the show. Okay. So what would you do if one of your kids, say your daughter, right? Your oldest says, uh, at 18 says, dad, I know you, you taught me all this stuff about the, the, uh, Air Force and about uh, airplanes and about air traffic controllers and all this stuff. And and if she said, I don't want to go into a career for you like that, I would rather, let me, let me choose my words wisely here because I'm not bagging on anybody when I ask this question. Yeah, okay? If you say garbage I'm, man I'm not, one more time, I'm not. I, I would rather, shoe salesman I would from rather join the Space Force and go Ooh, to space Mars. Force. Space Force. Right? Um, yeah. Because that's where we're headed in yeah, the Space yeah, Force. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. The moon's okay. Meet more. We've probably already yeah, got a base there, right? That's like 60 <laughs> years Reagan. old now, though, right? I mean, but, um, <laughs> now I'm getting into conspiracy <laughs> theories. I get it. But it, it, if she said, you know, I would rather, I'd rather join the Space Force and go explore space than do any of the stuff that you you told me in my life 
what would you say? All right. So uh, several things. I I find it important uh, that that uh, myself and my spouse understand or come to an agreement on how we raise our kids. Um, my wife uh, was fortunate enough to be able to go to college, to a good college. Uh, she she took away, I'll say minimal debt, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the problem today is like, oh, man, it's just $180,000 in debt and I got a college degree. Yeah, right. Uh, but I, I look at the time frame from when you're like 17 to 25. What are you doing with your life? I mean, you're not making a career yet, right? You're learning things. Um, and so figuring out the right thing to do in that time, yeah, college might be one of them. Uh, it's not for everybody. Maybe it's learning a trade. Maybe it's picking up licenses or certification, whatever that might be. Again, uh, my dad was a machinist at Boeing. My mom, uh, she was pretty much a secretary at a couple different places. Um, but obviously nothing in the Air Force. My, I'm the only military kid in my family. Um, my wife, uh, as much as we talk about this, we are saving for our kids to go to college because I think that is a good thing. Um, I, I think we should just agree that as long as our kids are uh, productive people in society, that that's okay. Uh, you know, if, if they want to be a garbage man, honestly, there's a lot of benefits that come with garbage man. They typically mm. work four-day work weeks, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Excellent are, retirement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a guy in the guard when I first got in that was a garbage man, and he was proud of it. And he'd be like, <laughs> I'm a garbage man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, right, man. Jeez. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to like pick on you, but like, uh, th- there is something good to that. Uh, I guess I would I would be more inspired by somebody who has a direction and not necessarily clear cut. That's what I'm doing. But like, I knew when I left high school, aviation is what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how airplanes flew. I didn't know how jet engines worked. I just wanted to be a part of it. And crew chief was that. It was a segue into it. Um, air traffic was, I think, the answer. I was looking for, but didn't know I needed. Um, so when I was in high school, my stepdad had lined up with an air traffic controller out of Moses Lake. Again, OMAC, Moses Lake, what are they, like 100 miles apart or something? It's like big OMAC is Moses Lake. You know, it's not too far away, but they actually have like an airport that people use. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me, he's like, hey, Jake. Like, actually, uh, it used to be the, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be the largest landing strip in the yeah, Northwest. Yeah, it yeah. was up there. Um I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere, so we could just like keep going. Nobody cares. Like, just taxi down I ninety. Still, nobody realized. Well, that. that's why JAL yeah. Japan Airlines, yeah. right? They they yeah. train their pilots out yeah. of there. They constantly doing yep. touch and goes. Um. Anyway, so there's a there was an element to like before I even got into the Air Force that there was like this air traffic thing. I got to go up into their tower, which was a big deal. You know, kid from OMAC, uh, and look at what they were doing. Had no idea. Boeing landed a triple seven and they were testing it. So they have all these like kegs of water that are all synced and they can move water from the back to the front changes the center of gravity and flight. And they test the flight characteristics. Mm. I had no idea. And as again, like a 17 year old in high school, I'm looking at this like, what is going on? Uh, no idea. Uh, I understand what they were doing now. I understand what they were doing there because there's not much air travel in and out of there. It's a good place to test it. Um, if my daughter said, I don't want to do air traffic, I am cool. What are you going to do? My wife is a, um, bioscientist. She's, she got a, her bachelor's in bioscience. Might be wrong in that, but science. And she works in the medical field. Um, you know, she, she's got a, a master's in business administration, MBA. Uh, and 
while she's getting it, you can see like she's trying to like narrow down her career as she goes. And I do feel like we, as we get older and some of us are quicker to the punch than the other ones, but we're able to like kind of focus on like, you know what, that's what I want to do. And I knew, um, air traffic was what I wanted to do at 24, 25 years old. As I was watching, I was like, you know what? Like, this is a guaranteed paycheck. Uh, it's government. I get to tag on my military. There's a lot of, a lot of benefits that come with it. Um, that I want to do and I can segue my guard career as a almost like a parallel career with it and as long as I get uh, close to home or a, a unit I can I can transfer to that's close to my facility then it's not too hard you know I might have I'm I may have ended up in Portland yeah. uh, well, mm. Portland has 135s so okay. it's um, you know it I don't really want to learn a new airframe I don't want to learn a new job because it's not my you know, it's not paying the mortgage for the guard. Air traffic would be paying the mortgage, and that's the one I want to focus all my attention on. But uh, because I landed at Spokane for air traffic, and again, that's just dumb luck. Get kid that makes uh, good decisions, but not that smart. That would be me. Uh, <laughs> just just managed to luck out. Um, I'm I'm thrilled that I I was able to land at Spokane because I was able to maintain my military career. I guarantee you, if I had not been at Spokane, I would. I would not have retired uh, two months ago from the from the Air National Guard. Mm. So uh, I was able to work both careers. And some days, I mean, because my crazy hours, you work three to midnight. Uh, maybe you have a three to midnight shift on Sunday. Well, I can get a guard drill done oh, yeah. <laughs> and go to work. Uh, well, who knows? Of, maybe yeah. someday your kid will be. Yeah, I I would be thrilled. Uh, I I hold no obligations, honestly. Uh, for anybody out there, I look into the Coast Guard. Yeah, they look like they got a good racket. They don't go to Qatar. Well, maybe she'll be <laughs> piloting a uh, the first yeah KC the first uh, commercial airliner that goes yeah. from uh, Earth to Mars, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, I'm, and stop maybe sending his kid to Mars. Yeah, and maybe and maybe you'll you'll be on one of the flights <laughs> on vacation, yeah. right? I there's no pressure on my son, but his air his room is uh, like designed airplanes. I mean, there's nice. like a. There's airplanes everywhere. If we end up, <laughs> if we end up with interplanetary travel, <laughs> I want more vacation days every Seriously, year. How long? What's okay. what's, what's the standard? Like, <laughs> if you had time. to wait, like, if you had to travel like two days, but you could sleep the whole time, but like, like, what would be the acceptable time travel? And you know, the, whatever the platform is, whether it's like some sort of airline or like. Instead of two weeks, I want three. That's what I'm saying. That's all for travel. I need some of that time at the beginning and at the end, right? Yeah. By then, all work might be virtual. You might be working until you land. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Monitoring inmates. Yeah. Not me, son. Yeah. You guys watching the Mars rover? Man, that thing is... Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. The first thing it did was like tweeted. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great. <laughs> That's necessary. Did you see how many freaking zip ties are on that thing? <laughs> so, I, I, you know, just looking, there are, I don't know, hundreds of zip ties on, oh, that, on that thing. I'm like, ah. If I was going to send a space or a, a, a rover, I guess, to a different planet via yeah. spaceship, like, I don't think I would use zip ties. I don't know. That's just me. Are they plastic zip ties, though? Or are they some sort of metal? They could, uh, they could be some I material know. I don't know about, but they look like generic plastic zip ties. So. Interesting. Yeah. I did see a picture of it. It was like, it was almost a selfie, but you could tell, like, you know, maybe unless they had a special camera where you couldn't see the arm that was holding, but it looked like a selfie, yeah. some tracks in the desert or whatever. And it was like, oh, my gosh, look at this picture. And as you're looking at the picture of this thing in the desert with stuff, right, you see this, like, human body that's, like, taking a picture of it, like the shadow of it. <laughs> I was like, look at this new picture. And it was, I don't know, it just kind of cracked me up. I was like, oh, that's 
Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, those <laughs> now we're going to start getting into conspiracies. Okay, so okay. On, I, I actually wrote down some questions. <laughs> and one of them send it kind of goes on the conspiracy thing have you ever seen anything as an air traffic controller that you can't explain um not i haven't so we we have light pollution all right so the city uh has lights and there, there is a light pollution i've heard stories from people oh my gosh i saw a thing every now and then like because i'm in the tower and because uh i have a radar display that looks 40 miles out so i know before somebody hits my airspace like 40 to 60 miles like oh somebody's coming in um i turn the lights on because it helps me stay awake um so my attention is mostly in the tower cab, although I can see the lights of the runway, although I can see any vehicles or aircraft taxiing on the runway because they also have headlights. Uh, unless I have something out the window I'm specifically looking for, the lights at night, I think it would be the UFO question yeah. that we're all looking for. The lights at night are, are what we're looking for, but Spokane does have a light pollution and it uh, you really have to gain altitude. So like uh, in the summer months, drive the top of Mount Spokane and you'll see every star in the sky. If you want to, if you think you're going to see something, go to the top of a high point and spend the night outside on the ground, not in a tent mm. and watch the sky. And you're going to see a million shooting stars. Yeah. I know this because I grew up 30 miles out of a town that didn't have light pollution. And we, I saw the Milky Way every night and it's beautiful. I don't get to see it anymore because that property is not in my family anymore, yeah. but like... And I've seen the northern lights in Moses Lake and, and it illuminated the night sky yeah. all night. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so the the fact... That, I'm sure there's UFOs. I, I'm guessing. I have no insider knowledge on this. I have not seen any crazy lights moving left and right and up and down and left and right. And you haven't seen anything on radar? No. That, that's the one I'm talking about is mainly so, like the Navy yeah. pilots that... So that stuff. I, I'm not saying that they didn't see what they saw, but I know on my radar that there are a couple different things that you do see. If you had a flock of seagulls or birds large enough because a radar works on line of sight and it just looks out and sees things and then it says, whoa, like we, we saw something out there. It didn't have a transponder. Right? Air, aircraft have a, a transponder, which, which gives you feedback, mm. right? which says, hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. Every time it comes <laughs> around, right? It's a little beacon code you throw in there and this is, talks to our computer and then puts, anyway. Uh, but if it's like, hey, that's something. So it, you could be in your own Cessna without a transponder, not talking to us. And I would see you and you would just, you would look like a little diamond shape, computer generated diamond shape. At that point, it would be an unidentified yeah. flying object, right? Uh, sure. Sure. I mean, sure. Essentially, yeah. right? Uh if you didn't, sure. if you couldn't identify what <laughs> sure. it was. As an air traffic controller, if I cannot identify that, but I will say like 40 miles around Spokane, surface to 12,000 feet, uh, there are several UFOs in your definition that would meet that category, but you're only required to talk to air traffic within 10, let's say 10 miles of Spokane International. So basically all the military coming in and out of Fairchild, all the commercial in and out of Spokane, and all the general aviation that goes in and out of Feltz, Let's pretend talk to air traffic. Now, the general aviation international Feltz field doesn't have to talk to us. So they, they are not required to. We work really close to the airport. Yes, yeah, yeah. I do. Um, and I mean really close, right, yeah. right next to it. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen uh, a thousand birds mm. come in in a gigantic mm. flock. Um, we just tell and pilots land about, right yeah. in our grass. Yeah, we just tell right? pilots about it. And and is that something that oh, yeah, it's a big, it's on a, the so, radar? Uh, sometimes, possibly. Uh, yeah. po I mean, possibly. So in, in the tower, we look for birds, right? Because birds will take airplane out. I mean, mm -hmm. Soli Solenberger crashed in right. Hudson, right? Mm -hmm. Right, it's because of birds. 
So we, we tell pilots about them. We look for that trajectory within our line, our, our uh, line of sight out the window, uh, critical stages of flight. I mean, birds don't fly high up at altitude, but we look for that because the critical stage of flight is that their rotation, you know, the aircraft's climbing, they're pulling the gear up, they're bringing the flaps up, right? All that stuff, get away from the ground because the ground is ultimately what's going to hurt you, right? If, mm. if something happens mm-hmm. and you have time to like, put the gear down, turn around and land wherever you want, then the ground doesn't hurt you if you're lined up with a runway. But um, So yeah, um, birds are bad. Let's, <laughs> let's go with that. Uh, they can hurt things. How do we get rid of them? Uh, I mean, I don't have anything. I have like a light gun. They're like, you know, like talk to planes that don't have radios, yeah. but like ultimately that doesn't do anything to birds. But the, the airport ops guys, the guys who really take care of the airfield, they they plow the runways. They, they take care of all the lighting systems. I mean, they... They, they they do a solid job. They're out there 24 hours a day. And if we if we see this like flock of birds that lands, let's say, right next to the runway, we're like, oh my God, like we saw this, we saw this flock of geese. They'll go out there with a truck and just like drive through them and they'll scare them away. <laughs> now, they sometimes just pick up and land on the other side of the runway. And this is comical for us because we're like, oh my I mean, like, how do you control birds? Like, yeah, I don't right. know. But like, and ops is like, they're probably seeing thinking the same thing. Like, oh, geez, stupid birds. Like, <laughs> and you're sitting in your yeah. tower going, oh, oh look, they just landed yeah. right over there 10 yeah. feet away. Yeah. And, we, and we we're, we're watching them, right? We're all, we're all a team. And we're like, because we don't want birds <laughs> to fly in front of But, uh, and then eventually they have some fireworks or something. They'll light off yeah. to scare the birds away, which Little is cool. GBSs, yeah. yeah. And I like that. Light those things up. But uh, coyotes are the same problem. There's a lot of coyotes on the field, and sometimes, yeah. sometimes they don't make it. Yeah. So, uh, my next question. Yeah. For your kids, mm. uh, you're pretty pro-military. Encourage your kids to go. Mm-hmm. I would assume. Active or guard? So, uh, I think it depends on the kid. Uh, if, if you're talking to me when I was in high school, active duty hundred percent, because I was lost for direction. I think a lot of kids have parents who guide them in a direction and that's great. I don't care if you think your kid needs to be a plumber cause you're a plumber and you're like, go be a plumber. That might sound good on the, or sound bad on the surface to most of us. Do you know what a plumber makes? Oh yeah. They're like hundred bucks an hour. Yeah. Like, it's pretty I, good. I mean, like pretty decent. I don't want to frown on that. And then while you're at it, learn the certifications and learn how to business license and Absolutely. buy rentals. And like, I mean like there, there's a whole nother Avenue, but, uh, active regard. Um, I have a certain affinity for the guard. I really enjoyed my time in the guard. Uh, I do feel like I got shortchanged a little bit on my retirement due to COVID. Uh, I wanted the ceremony with the airplane behind me oh, nice. and the big flags and the stage and service dress and family and friends. Uh, I didn't get any of that. I got none of it due to COVID. Um, I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I mean, it's a little bit of an open wound right now that in September things are a little bit normal and they reach out to me and say, this is a possibility, but, um, I, <laughs> I can't guarantee that. So there's a little bit of heartbreak for me with the guard. Um, I paid into a system. I put a lot of effort in. I was a first sergeant when I retired. Uh, I love everybody I worked with out there. I do feel like they treated me the best they could. Uh, just the timing of things didn't work out well, which really hurt. Um, for example, uh, as a crew chief, uh, I was able to be a first sergeant for crew chiefs, which is in, a, in active yeah. duty that doesn't happen. Like you do, Never you, you don't want that. Um, but because I didn't come out of that squadron, I came from a different squadron. They kind of overlooked it, which suckers. <laughs> uh, 
I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, my crew chiefs, I understand what they're talking about, but I'm not supposed to be operational. I'm just supposed to be about people, making sure that they're taken care of. So uh, when uh, it came time for me to retire, my commander said, what do you want? Uh, we will do anything that you want. We don't care. And I said, I want to go TDY one more time. I want to go on a tr one last trip. And she said, if you find it, you can. we don't care. We will unit fund it. We will send you... You can be a passenger, you can be a crew chief, you can be a first sergeant, we do not care. Awesome. And I, I cannot, like, I, I can't tell you how, what a great feeling it is. So my last trip, and again, I retired uh, technically January, last drill was December, I ret uh, this was October of uh, 2020. I got on an airplane and it flew me to Hawaii for four days. Oh, nice. And I had a beachfront hotel. And I had crew chiefs, and it was a it was a lighter mission. We did we flew for two days. I mean, there was work to be done. And I said, I want to be a crew chief. Like I want to work. Those are my roots. That's my my heritage. Uh, I look forward to it. The air crew. I kind of knew them, but as soon as they got out to the jet, they see me. I've got my I've got my uh, my blouse top on with the diamonds, and they're they're like, What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, You guys are in trouble. <laughs> I'm going TDY with you. But uh, it was uh, that was not the feel. I mean, it was. Uh, it was a good time, and I guess we don't need to get into details. There was a lot of hard work for the maintainers because the jet did break. Uh, the guy, the crew chief that was the lead crew chief, he was one of my uh, previous maintainers from a different shop, so he was a younger rank. It was his first time leading a trip, which is a big deal. If you're the crew chief and the jet breaks, you're like, oh, crap, what do I do? <laughs> and he's looking at me, and I was like, oops. I got, yeah, <laughs> I got you, dude, because I've done this 100 times. So um, so we were able to help help him get through that. And we were in Hawaii, uh, which didn't suck. And it was yeah. October. Um, Hawaii kind of went into lockdown, so there wasn't – I mean, it was like a party, party atmosphere. It was just uh, – all right, uh, let's go sit by the beach and drink some Coronas. And that's, that's kind of what we did. Was so, there a lot of people doing that at that time? Um, no. I, I mean, like, I've been to Hawaii. I think the Air Force sent me there 14 times altogether. Uh, I've been there a lot. And no, uh, th there were people. Um, there was a cop out there writing tickets for groups larger than five or something like that. <laughs> Because they they went back, they were in phase one, and they went back to phase three, and so they, I mean, they took it seriously. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to enforce that is, you know, the law enforcement. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure the cop loved it. But, yeah, uh, I'm sure. Um, that was uh, <laughs> you got six in your party. Yeah, here's your fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're on. The, I mean, as a cop though, you're on the beach. Yeah. No, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You want beach patrol or do you want to? <laughs> I dude alley patrol. So I lived in Hawaii. That's yeah. where I was stationed. Right. And yeah. uh. uh my only, my only run-in with Hawaiian PD right on Oahu was uh, <laughs> I was I was uh, driving somebody else's car because I, I was a private. I I couldn't afford my own car, my own island beater, if you will. Um, and I had picked somebody up from the airport that was coming to visit me specifically, and this thing, ba this thing barely ran, mm -hmm. barely. Yeah. Okay. And it, the front end was like smashed in, like it had been in a head-on collision, and the radiator leaked, and so you could constantly smell like radiator fluid and stuff. <laughs> and it was just, it was a terrible little like, it was like a GMC Sonoma or something, right? Just yeah. terrible little pickup, and um. Uh, so this guy pulled over five of us at the same time, five wow. people. 
Okay, so we're driving downtown Honolulu in the uh, like the Asian Mm -hmm. district, and and there's so many people. This is back in the late, you know, mid 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 to late nineties. It was like ninety six or ninety seven ish, and um, there was so many people that were on the street and on the sidewalk. You were just all you were focused on as a driver at that point was just not hitting anybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I was in this restricted bus lane. Okay. And, I, and, and so we, there was, I was just kind of following traffic and I was trying not to hit anybody and we're, I was, we were driving and then all of a sudden it was a restricted bus lane only. And this Hawaiian police officer pull us all over, just <laughs> flagging us over. Right. And he comes up to the window. He goes, Hey, I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, you that's a restricted bus lane. And I said, uh, nope, I did not know that. And he goes, oh, here's your ticket. And I'm, fuck it. I'm just yeah. paying it. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, thank you for not wasting my time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. But it was like, you know, kind of like what yeah. you're saying, writing tickets on the beach to people that are more than whatever, four yeah. or five people. It was just kind of like that. It was like, dude. Bro, just yeah. tell us to fucking move over. I, I'm good with it, you know. But whatever. So, so when I was active duty, I went to, on a trip with a with a buddy of mine. There was two of us crew chiefs on the trip. We went to Hawaii overnight, as uh, most of my trips were, and uh, I'm excited to go to Hawaii just because it was you know you still get cell service and you're on the beach and it's it's a, it's a pretty easy trip. I think we were in route to Japan on that trip, but like we had a we had a day we can go goof off. And I was like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to go see Pearl Harbor. And I'm like, cool. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to rent scooters. All right. They got scooters everywhere. Awesome. Like, yeah. They <laughs> take the a best scooter thing you can do. Yeah, take a scooter. For, so we, we get a taxi from the base to downtown because that's the only place I know to get a scooter. We rent a scooter and we ride, we, we ride uh, on the H1 to uh, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> you're not supposed to take those on the highway, but no, way. you're not. <laughs> Did not realize that one. Thank you. You beat me to the punch. But uh, that was, uh, we got on the, I mean, they do like top speed 35. My buddy's a little chunky, so maybe like 28. Uh, and we're like, you guys are riding tandem oh, no, no, on no, one he, scooter. No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's on his, I'm on mine. But like, we're like, I mean, like hat backwards, sunglasses on, and you're like, the, the throttle doesn't go anymore. No, right? And you're just doesn't. like pushing your foot, hoping to like get an extra mile per hour. <laughs> And like cars are honking at us and they're, we're like, holy crap, where's the next exit? And like hugging. The, anyway, that was shenanigans. But the crazy part is like Hickam, where we landed, and Pearl Harbor are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. But downtown is not right like in between them. No. We had to drive a ways to get these things only to ride them back yeah. to get to go see the uh, Arizona, which I'd recommend anybody do. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. And, and then like, okay, like, so let's just take sidewalks <laughs> back downtown. <laughs> so stupid. That's funny. <laughs> not a good idea yeah it's not no don't don't if you rent those in hawaii do not drive them on the highway yeah stay on the sidewalks (laughs) (laughs) so i got one last question air traffic controller Mm -hmm. what do you got to be good at if you're interested in so so i'm I'm not gonna lie because uh this comes up um they're they're always like once you get done with training they kind of like want to analyze your, your psyche on, on what was good, what was bad, both in the training program, where you came from your background. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a black and white answer. Um, I've seen air force controllers come in who the one guy, 
uh, he had five facilities under his belt. He had been to five different facilities. So that's like different airspace and knowledge. And you would assume that they have a general understanding of how things work. Uh, we washed him out. Uh, he, he couldn't do the job. Um, I've seen college kids come in who have the air traffic degree and we washed them out because they couldn't do the job. And it's not necessarily that they couldn't control traffic. It was more so that the showing up to work and having that work ethic, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have it. Uh, again, with like college kids might, you know, college isn't the answer for everyone. It's the answer for some, or maybe it's a gateway for some or whatever it might be. But um, f- for me, it was, I'm going to pass this. Uh, and, and I was bad at certain parts of it, like really bad. And I, I recognize that, like, wow, I'm not good at this. I'm going to fix it. Uh, I'm going to study it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do whatever I can. I am not going to wash out on this. This is what I want to do. Uh, air traffic was for me, it was the answer, uh, as far as career moves. Um, it's, it's not for everybody. Some people see it as a stepping stone. They want to do something else, but, um, I male, female, uh, name your ethnicity. I, I don't, there, there is no one better than the other. There is no background that fits a mold. It mm-hmm. is such a weird career field. I do feel like, uh, sons and daughters of air traffic controllers naturally segue into it. Not, not black and white, not a hundred percent, but, uh, right now I work with, uh, two ladies, um, their sisters, their dad was air traffic. I worked with uh, one of my good friends, Michael. His dad was air traffic, and he was somebody in the agency. Uh, but I think it's just the general conversation of understanding what he is doing, what they're looking for. Uh, and so he came in knowing what to look for, whereas I was looking at the wall, and I should have been looking out the window, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, so I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer. Uh, my my closest segue is like, do you like doing puzzles? Mm. Uh, do you have a theory to, I, I like doing puzzles. I have a theory on how I, I can have a 5,000 piece puzzle. I will tell you my theory on how to do it. And I will break down each piece by piece by piece and do a puzzle. Now I'm not saying that's a, an air traffic thing. That's just me figuring out how to solve a problem. Um, and basically, uh, at any given day you have a different problem. Uh, today I was busy. I was in the approach control and I had seen some things and it was constant and it was just like this, what the heck? Like I'm, I'm always busy. And a lot of times air traffic's about passing, passing the problem off or solving the problem as, as soon as you can. And then putting that aircraft on, on the next frequency down the road. Uh, I guess I don't really have a good example for that on the air here, but like today I was just swamped. Uh, we had weather moving through the area. There were storm cells building. Mm-hmm. So pilots don't want to fly through them. I mean, like from American airlines to Cessna, one two three right like i don't want anything to do with that cloud so now they're going to go occupy the same space that i want to fly one to the left one to the right but they're coming around the cloud together and you got to figure it out and like nobody wants to turn so we use anyway it's just uh how well are you at solving problems and there's a constant right there's a constant problem uh the sooner you can figure it out the better the easier life is uh you asked about stress in the job uh, training is stressful. If you're not good at it, it's stressful. Uh, that's why we, we try to stay that proficiency. So you remain good at it. Uh, my feet are on the table most of the time. I got to work air force two back in, uh, 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Pence came into the area. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, have you ever, 
yeah, seen I'm, Air Force One come in? Oh, man, I got a couple funny stories. So I got to work Air Force Two. He came into the area. My feet were on the table. Supervisor sitting next to me. And I'm like, hey, clear approach, right? Like, there was nothing in his way, though, right? So, like, I know he's flying from the east and he's landing Spokane. There, there's no airplanes in his way. Uh, when a VIP movement happens, there's usually a temporary flight restriction. So, like, if you wanted to fly, there's F-16s, like, circling up above, and they probably shoot you down. Or, like, <laughs> there's notums. Like, you're not supposed to fly. Right? That's the whole thing about it. Um, my, uh, Let's see. A couple segues here. The funny story. So, I'm in the Air Force. I'm a crew chief. 2006, I'm working with this kid. We're going to leave his name out of it. He's a KC-135 crew chief with me. We worked together for four months. I love this kid. We part ways because my deployment's over. He does a really good job of keeping in touch with me. I do not get do a good job of keeping in touch with him. But his career kind of moves on. He He's a recruiter. And then he gets the call to go be a crew chief on the, the Air Force VIP fleet. Okay. So there's a 757. Right, Air Force One that we refer to as a 747. Air Force One could be a Cessna with a president on it. Doesn't matter. Okay. President is Air Force One, but what we recognize as 747 is uh, is there's two of them. I got a couple friends on that, and like I could go check that out because my wife and I were going to D.C. for vacation. Like, wow, man, this is gonna be great. So I'm gonna go visit my friend Brian, but he's on the fleet, so he's got 757, 737. He's Learjets. There's he's got like 15 airplanes. I don't know how many airplanes, but he's got all these airplanes. Uh, I want to go see one of them. I don't care. And my brother-in-law is game. He's like, I've never been on an airplane like this, <laughs> right? And we're talking like, we're talking top level stuff in the government. This is great. So Brian takes, I think his name's Brian. Uh, For the record, his name might not be Brian. That's cool. Takes us out. <laughs> Which uh, is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Only Brian will know. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe not Brian. We don't or, know what his name is. Or Bruce. I think it was Ryan. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. Um so he takes us out to uh, Andrews Air Force Base, which is uh, where they house all these airplanes, and uh, the fleets out there, right? So you've got all these Gulf Streams, and right, and and as much as like it's fascinating, these are these airplanes. Like uh, if if the president stays on the East Coast, typically he'll take the seven fifty seven, because you don't need a seven forty seven, right? And there's not that many people, but it's just like think of uh, think of first class seating all the way, right? I mean it's nice but it, it's not like you have your own bed yeah i mean like, i mean it's not anything luxurious but on the 757 there's its own office right on the front of the airplane there's a couch in the office there's a desk there's a tv there's like a shower bathroom right like there is a thing like a suite a shower bathroom. yeah oh yeah wow oh, yeah it's a big deal <laughs> so He's showing me the, the avionics and the in the cockpit, which is a mechanic I find fascinating. I'm like, kind of like, oh man, this is so cool. Look at all this. And then he shows me the rest of the plane, which is kind of boring. Right? There's no like escape pod, at least that I saw. There might be an escape pod. <laughs> I did not see it. Um, <laughs> so he shows me the suite, and and it's just kind of like cool, man. Like if you were flying over the ocean, this is sweet, right? I mean, like, I don't know what to say. Well, it's fucking sweet. Um, so I get to sit. In at the time it was it was 2013, uh, the man's suite, in his chair at the desk, right? Who's the current sitting president? Uh, and he's telling me stories, and I just start <laughs> mustering one, <laughs> and uh, I farted in that seat. <laughs> uh, I, that is not to depict any of my politics. That is just for now and it's always forever. Farted on Air Force Two. Yeah. Well, right you know, in Biden's you, chair, dude. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let me ask you, do you know why? Because huh. I can. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could. Good one. Yeah. Anyway, I like not, that. Not to, not to bring politics in, it was just like that. I had a friend tell me he did it on Air Force One, and I was like, epic. <laughs> <laughs> so doing that. Uh, so, that's, um, that's my funny story about uh, Air Force Two. But, uh, All right, yeah. Jake. Well, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're running out of time here. All right, man. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you have any parting words of wisdom? Oh man, I've been thinking about this. I've been listening to your podcast for several weeks now, and like, I, I always try to give advice. I don't think Thank there's you, a, by the yeah, way. yeah. I I don't think there's enough uh, guy advice, right, for dad to dad, because I think we we hold a lot of stuff in because we kind of suck, but we don't want to admit that we suck at certain things. Mm-hmm. So I I try to highlight the things that I was not good at as a father, maybe even a husband, and, and uh, mind you, my kids are young, uh, through one and three. Um, wash the bottles right your wife is Mm. breastfeeding and she's pumping like my wife was like driving to work and pumping and like storing bags and documenting the dates and like and i was just going to work i mean my just driving to work um if you do anything at that young age you know the infant age wash the bottles i mean like make a point to like give me all those bottles i'm gonna i want to put them in the i want to put the milk in the bag and i want to freeze it and like that's, I feel like that's the least you can do because as much as you think you're doing something, she, her body's working 100 times harder. And mm-hmm. and she's ruining her body for your family. Uh, I, I don't care if you're the breadwinner. I don't care what it is. But like, so wash the bottles. Um, that's I feel like that's the least you can do and make her dinner, treat her special. You know, uh, I've, I found a good one. Um, I, I was lucky. I found her in high school. We didn't start dating until I was in the Air Force. She was in college. Um we dated for a long time before we got married, but like I, I found a really good woman that I, I call my wife and my best friend, and we, we live a great life. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I hope that this is a platform that any guy can come on and just recognize their downfalls and say, hey, I wasn't good at this, and mm. I, w- I wish I would have done that better. Um, for me, it was washing the bottles, and so our second child, I mean, like, it's like, oh, is that a bottle? Looks clean, not clean <laughs> enough. Up, huh? I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean that bottle. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, wash the bottles. Uh, I, I look forward to talking to people who have kids that are older than mine, to get over the hurdles that we are in uh, right now. My daughter struggles staying the night in her bed, and uh, I, I guess I, I look forward to like, how do we solve this challenge? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a we challenge. Although as much as like she's on her side of the bed, and maybe I sleep through it most of the time. Uh, it is a wee challenge because if she, if my wife wakes up grumpy because I didn't wake up the seven times that she had to wake up, my life now kind of sucks, right? I <laughs> right. mean, like, and and I wish I would have woken up and done something about it. So, one hundred percent, I will go sleep in my daughter's room. She yeah. can sleep in my bed or she can sleep in. Her. I don't really care. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, how do I solve this? So uh, that's that's it. That's my uh, that's my advice to anybody. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, when uh, your kids are so young, right? Uh, as a dad, I felt totally worthless because I'm like, well, I could wake up with you and try and keep you company, I yeah. guess. You know, there wasn't a whole lot for you to do. Wake wake up in the middle of the night. I mean, obviously, when when they're breastfeeding, they, uh, there's not a lot that you can yeah. do. But uh, as soon as they start giving them the bottle, which I, over the last, I don't know, two, three months, I feel like I've done a better job at like, I'm going to go to bed early because I'll wake up in that three o'clock hour when our son is waking up. And I will try my best to be the first one into his room mm. with with the warm milk because it's in a bottle. But that's great advice. Well, Jake, a true yeah. wise yeah. sage. Thank you very much for <laughs> yeah, being it's been on the fun, show, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, I got one last question yeah, before yeah. we get okay. off. Okay. Uh, 
do you have anything you want to plug? Like, can I find your wood? Uh, he, for those that are, <laughs> don't he know, bring, he brought, he us brought a, a wood. wood. <laughs> yeah, awesome it's flag. A, so, and uh, it's a teaser because yeah. he said it's already sold, <laughs> yeah. and I, I can't have it. <laughs> so during COVID, I learned how to make uh, do some woodworking, and I make these wavy flags. Uh, I think they're on Etsy if you want to go there. But uh, I, I like the word of mouth. I, d- I do not have a website. Um, I'm, uh, maybe you guys, maybe I hold it in my screenshot with you guys or something. Okay. But uh, um, I'm looking for that post-retirement job that yeah. you actually enjoy. So I've got a uh, couple years before air traffic lets me retire. And hopefully at that time, I'm able to really spin up my operation. But I am currently working on fine-tuning everything so mm-hmm. I, I can be a little bit more productive. These uh, I make uh, these small ones. Um, I don't know how many hours they take me because I don't really pay attention. But mm-hmm. uh, I count so how many, many enjoy doing? I count how many beers maybe that I make. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's an eight-beer flag yeah, right that there. that is an eight-beer flag. The big so one. Ooh. I'm staring at it right now. And uh, what it is is it's like a, a subdued... Uh, say black and white, right? American flag in 3D uh, on woodwork, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's just truly remarkable and amazing to look at. And I want one right. that size <laughs> on that wall right, right over there. Right. Yep. Okay, right next to my bar. <laughs> okay, um, and and I this is my pre order. All right, all right. I got two. I got right two, I got <laughs> two ready to stuff. ready to start grinding. So I'll uh, I'll get to that. But yeah, but uh, if anybody wanted to order one, where would they order? Oh man, on I, Etsy. I, yeah, Etsy. I mean, I I don't. I'm not the only one out there that makes them. Mm-hmm. Um, I if you want to make one, I'd get on YouTube and just Google like wavy flag. They're basically made out of two by fours. Uh, I had to borrow some equipment, and then I started selling the ones I made and started screwing up on, which were actually better than I thought. So the first one I sold was a 37 by 19. Oh wow! And I sold it for 50 bucks. Um, but that 50 bucks, sold. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. <laughs> that 50 bucks got me the money I needed to buy the bandsaw, so I can I can start pushing the the yeah. wood through the bandsaw. But uh, it's it's kind of been a fun project, and now I've just got a slew of cash that I can buy more tools with. And nice. My wife's eyeing it to fix our deck, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I think I need a bigger bandsaw. <laughs> so, um, I, w- I wish I, I wish I had a, a plug for for a website or something. Okay. But uh, I appreciate the shout out on that. Yeah, absolutely, flag, it looks so. great. Yeah. Awesome, Jake. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate you, it, buddy. Appreciate yeah, it. All right, Ray, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. Be sure to tell your friends about the show. 